Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, the sports animals in the morning on ESPN Honolulu. Aloha Friday. It is us, the sports animals, in the morning here on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Chris has got the day off, sort of, but he will be back with us on Monday. Tanner Hayworth, of course, filling in. Gary Dickman here as well on Aloha Friday. And the NBA draft is over and a lot to talk about, of course. The most difficult part, and I was reminded of this yesterday, is to keep track of all the trades. A lot of them just draft picked getting drafted and minutes later getting traded and trying to keep track of who is on which team. We'll get more into that coming up, of course, in a few minutes. Here are three things you need to know. We're going to start with baseball, Tanner. This was pretty cool last night. In the same game, Seattle at Yankee Stadium, and it was uh, Colton Wong, who obviously had a really tough season, and he gets his first home run of the season for Seattle. Seattle wins the game rather convincingly, 10-2, and the two Yankee runs were a result of a home run by Isaiah Kaina Falafa, uh, Falafa, who also pitched in the game last night, the ninth inning. He has uh, got a little bit of a record that he shares with Shohei, doesn't he? Yeah, so he and Shohei Otani become the only two players this season to record a strikeout and a home run in the same game. So we're basically saying Isaiah Kiner Falefa is basically Shohei Otani, right? <laughs> exactly. I think that's what we're getting from this. But awesome day for Colton Wong. I feel like a lot of Mariners fans especially were waiting for just a day like this for him hitting-wise. I mean, he goes two for three. He gets the home run. He has, um, I, I mean, it's, it's a good day for uh, Colton Wong fans and uh, definitely us out here in Hawaii and Another good game from Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who's doing a pretty great job on the mound himself, but, you know, still getting a couple of home runs here this season so far for the Yankees, and as they're struggling to just find anything without Aaron Judge on the field, so good game, fun to watch, great day for the Mariners fans. Yeah, you know, Rob DeMello on the KH12 Sports had the highlight of Colton's homer, and in the dugout, a lot of teams do this now. They give you, like, you know, the championship belt, the WWE belt, or some kind of fancy hat or helmet, and they do a little celebration. And Colton, well, I forget what, they, what he put on his head. Uh, I kind of visualized, but I don't know what it was called, but the smile on his face is what stood out to me, like a sigh of relief as well. His first homer of the year, and he's still struggling, but that was – and he, and he destroyed that baseball to really uh, destroyed it into right field. And what the Mariners do is they give them a trident. Is that what it is? Yes, they give them a trident to hold, a big golden trident. What is that symbolic of, do you know? Uh, Like, like... For Seattle, at least. For Seattle, because it's supposed to be like Poseidon and his trident, or, you know, like Roman, like, it's just... 
It's just imagery. <laughs> okay, okay, and I understand <laughs> because that, they're they're the they're a team close to the sea, the Mariners. So uh, okay, I oh, think okay. It's Mariners. Just, yeah. That, that, that'll kind of give it the connection. I knew there had to be some kind of connection. I wasn't sure exactly what it was, but that, it that was also cool just looks really cool. That's the main it does. thing. It, it does. That that it definitely does. And for Isaiah, you know, uh, IKF as I call him in the New York media and the papers here and there is, you know, it seems like any time there's a blowout game, he's their pitcher. <laughs> Because like this is his third appearance of the season, I believe, and uh, yet to let up a run. I'm not sure if he's going to get any All Star votes or consideration, but uh, that was cool. Even though it was a loss for the Yankees, I mean, how how rare is that? I I don't know if that's ever happened, uh, where two Hawaii players have hit a home run in the same game. I mean, I I know Shane Victorino and Colton Wong went up against each other in the World Series. And I'm sure one of them, well, I'm pretty sure um, Victorino hit a home run in that series. But to have both in the same game, that's a pretty, I mean, a pretty rare accomplishment. And a cool one is that. Yes. Here is another thing you need to know. And we'll go to the NBA for a little bit, of course. It probably happened an hour, a couple of hours after we wrapped it up yesterday, uh, maybe even less than that. Uh, Chris Paul gets traded. We heard he was going to get traded from Washington. That was pretty – he was going to get bought out or traded, but it wasn't the L.A. Clippers. It wasn't the L.A. Lakers. It was the Golden State Warriors, and I think that surprised many people. Jordan Poole getting traded maybe was a surprise, and uh, – Mike Dunleavy Jr., the new GM, the other day said, we look forward to working with him for the next four years, or words to that effect. Uh, I guess he meant four days, because Jordan Poole... He didn't even make it to four days. That yeah, was I guess three not. days before that. He, so not totally surprising that he's on the move, but Chris Paul, the Golden State, that was an eye-opener. Yeah, and I think initially, when you think about it, you're like, okay, so two point guards, Chris Paul, Steph Curry, not really sure how that works, but I think when you look at Chris Paul's past... Uh, of all the teams that he's been on, I think he will operate more like the Chris Paul from the Houston Rockets, where he did have to share the ball a lot with James Harden. Right, yeah. But yet, he and James Harden still played very well together. They made it. They almost beat the Golden State Warriors with Kevin Durant, if right. we want to remember that, if it weren't for an injury to Chris Paul. I think if you're Steve Kerr, I think this is an absolute win. Your team ultimately matures like, one billion yeah. fold by yeah. replacing Jordan Poole with Chris Paul. I think if the Golden State Warriors can go back to what they were like two years ago with a lot of really great basketball IQ vets, you're not relying on a bunch of young guys who aren't necessarily getting the system like a Kuminga or a Moody. I think if they could land probably one more veteran guy and re-sign Draymond Green... I'm liking the Warriors as my finals pick for 2024. I will say the last part of your comment, I would agree. I would hope it's them. I'd love to see Chris Paul get a ring, and I like Golden State. It's not like one of my favorite teams, but it, I, I do enjoy watching them play, and I, I feel a little down when they don't win it. And, you know, this year was a tough one, especially losing to a team I don't like in the Lakers. Chris Paul, by the way, has never come off the bench in an NBA game. He has started every game. That streak will probably end. I heard Marcus Spears uh on uh, ESPN Sports Center on our station last night, saying that he wouldn't be surprised if he does start. Now that would mean you're going to go with Clay as a, as a three. I don't know. You know, the Golden State has done it without a center a lot, so maybe they would do something like that. But I think more likely, 
Uh, you're going to have Chris Paul coming off the bench. Even though Curry doesn't come out much, they could play them both together, and Curry could be the two. That's more what he does anyway as the shooting guard. But uh, Chris Paul and Golden State, I don't think a lot of people or many people saw that coming. That was a real surprise yesterday. It sure was, and I th- think of when Chris Paul was on the Oklahoma City Thunder when their starting lineup come near playoff time was um, Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, and Shai Gilgis-Alexander all wow. out on the court at the same time. I think a Chris Paul, Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, and whoever you want to put at the five works the best because what Chris Paul is going to do is he's just going to operate like a less defensive version of a Draymond Green, except he can actually shoot that mid-range that uh, teams like yeah. to give Draymond all that room on because I just – I it's really hard to not see Chris Paul going to another team and just saying, okay, yeah, they're the new title favorites. But he's still a top-five point guard, one of the best point guards, not only in the NBA today, but probably one of the best point guards in NBA history still. I totally agree with that. I'm glad to hear you say that because I don't think people give him enough credit. Everybody thinks he's getting older, which he is. Everybody thinks his numbers have gone down, and they've gone down a little. His numbers are still really good. The thing is, he can come off the bench, and that's great for Chris Paul because his, his issue all the time is because of his usage rate throughout the regular season, yeah. he always breaks down in the playoffs with an injury. So if he comes off the bench a little more often with the Golden State Warriors, you're going to get a lot of, and a lot better version of a Chris Paul than you've probably gotten in a very long time than when you've been watching the NBA. Yeah, and I, again, he's in a great situation. As far as having a chance to win a championship, I would say Golden State, even though you know the Lakers were closer last year, I'd give them a better opportunity next year than either of the L.A. teams. Uh, so I'm glad for him, and it will be interesting to see what Steve Kerr does with that lineup. But, yeah, they are they they got a little bit stronger there, and I think that was, uh, again, a surprise move because nobody really saw it coming. Now, I know one thing I've noticed, and I'm sure you do, whenever a story breaks, whether it's the world around us in the news and the submarine by the Titanic or NBA draft coverage or anything else, the initial stories sometimes change because the facts that come out initially aren't actually facts and they're not accurate. The reason I mention that, there was a report I saw last night, I forget who reported it on Twitter, that Chris Paul was notified that he was getting traded to Golden State by his son in a text message. Now, we know that happened in Phoenix when he got traded to Washington. Is that that couldn't have happened twice, could it have? It could have. I mean, who who do you expect is up there in the Washington Wizards organization to be apt enough to like tell him what's going on? I, they were probably busy with their business deal with Qatar or Cutter. Yeah. Sorry about that. They're probably too busy, you know, locking down that Cutter deal between them and the Capitals that they were like, oh yeah, by, by the way, Chris, um, you're traded. Maybe his agent could have told him, but I mean, if, I, I, again, I didn't say anything else about that throughout the night. I was wondering if that was true, and you know, uh, as well as well, more than anybody, that sometimes I'll see things on Twitter and take it at actual, and it isn't, and I fall for some things over the years. I know I've done that, so I, I, now I wonder if I'm getting fooled when I see things like that, so I always take it with a kind of a grain of salt, but anyway, that was a... Uh, I the, wouldn't the, bat my eye. Okay, yeah. 
Now, uh, the other three, third thing you need to know, NBA draft, obviously, and we'll go through, uh, over this throughout the morning here. We're going to have Trevor Lane from the front office show join us next hour and talk about it. But, you know, early winners and losers, I think it's hard to definitely give it a winner or a loser. But a couple of uh, facts that I read last night or heard during the draft, I want to get your take on it, is that this is the first time a college freshman wasn't drafted number one since Blake Griffin, who was a sophomore, when he got drafted, and I think it was 10 years ago. Uh, so that's one thing. It's also, I think, the first time that the first player drafted hasn't played college basketball since uh, Andrea Bargnani of Toronto, because it's a foreign player going number one in Victor Wembanyama. A couple of fun facts there, and also there wasn't, I mean, five of the first seven players didn't play college basketball. That is really something when you think about it. So one of the things I read last night was winners and losers. One of them said college basketball because only two of the top seven did play last year. Well, I also think that that has to do with a lot of guys, you know, dropping out as well. I think there are a couple of guys, you know. Mm, Zach Eady. Zach Eady is probably one of those guys that probably gets picked high, especially as the center is kind of coming back into the NBA. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you need a center to be able to defend guys like Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. So it doesn't surprise me when you see guys like them. It surprises me when you don't see them there because you're like, okay, after Wembenyama, who's the next center? It's Derek Lively. Okay, then after Derek Lively, who is it? And I can't even remember the guy's name. I think he was picked at 21. For the Nets, out of Alabama, Clowney. Yeah, Clowney. There was the, they were the only three centers taken in the first round. And when you're in the NBA right now where some of the best players in the NBA are either centers, like the two I just mentioned, or guys who just try to bully you in the paint like a Giannis Antetokounmpo, you need a guy like that to be a bully in the front court. And unfortunately, throughout this draft at least, you're not getting that. Yeah, and I, when you say three centers in the first round, that might be even higher than the last five or ten years. Like you said, it's coming back now. But for a l good stretch, there was the, you know the dinosaur centers. Nobody plays like Dwight Howard anymore. They're all in the perimeter. And now you're starting to get some of these guys that can do both. I mean, Embiid obviously is a good three-point shooter, and so is Jokic. But we're getting some more of those seven-footers finally back where they belong as far as not being forgotten and thinking that it was a position that shouldn't exist. So I was kind of cool, glad about that. Now, I want to continue this for a minute and especially with you being a Boston Celtics fan because I saw criticism on Twitter last night saying and these are people that cover the Celtics not just fans saying that what was Brad Stevens doing uh, he did not acquire a first round pick back in these tra the trade and he kept he took a well, actually he did get one first round pick but traded down to the second round the only defense given to him is that a, like a, a second round pick and I believe it was 31 first pick in the second round isn't a guaranteed contract so it's actually Actually better for the team but they didn't really seem to try to improve their roster at least yesterday I mean the Porzingis trade we know what they were thinking at least but yesterday that their their moves were kind of uh, criticized by some on Twitter at least people who cover the NBA and the Celtics I'm not sure what you're expecting from the Celtics in this draft class to think that they could find someone to improve that immediately for the team I think the team is pretty much set on what they're going to do in the free agency I like you know, they still do get a couple of young guys here and there, but I'm not really expecting them to do much. So especially where they were at 25, I'm not really sure uh, what you were expecting there. I assume the one guy they probably wanted was Olivier Maxence Prosper from Marquette. Yeah. I think if you don't, if he doesn't get drafted to the Kings 
uh, beat, yeah, or traded to the Mavericks by the, at, at 24. If that doesn't happen, then I think Boston stays there and picks Prosper. Uh, I think once Prosper is off the board, you're like, okay, that not really much we can do to improve on the team in this draft. That's my opinion. I don't really mind it at all. I'm still reeling from the Marcus Smart trade. Yeah, right. Uh, but I think there's still a lot this team can do in free agency. Uh, I'm waiting for it to happen. I, I guess one of the reasons, and for me at least, being a little, not really surprised, but when I think about Brad Stevens now, the GM, making all these moves, last year it looks like he made some pretty good ones, getting Malcolm Brogdon. I'm not sure if that was on draft day when free agency started, but picking him up I thought was a big addition for that team. And I thought there was one other, well, they got, you know, Gallinari, you know, who didn't play for them last year. And I still think he's a really good shooter. You know, maybe not an all-star caliber. Well, and, and now he's on the Wizards. And now he's on the Wizards. So he, I'm not sure if they're going to have any video tributes for uh, his non-career in Boston, but he did spend a year with the team, even though none of it was in uniform. But I thought, again, last year they made some decent moves. And yesterday, was you know, people were questioning them. And, you know, again, it's easy to say after the fact, and the facts aren't over, as you said, they're still going to make some more moves in free agency. So it's just getting started. But the draft is completed. Uh, free agency, now, I, I know I keep saying, or I have said in the last week, it starts July 1st. They actually moved it up a little. For some reason, it's June 30th. At 6 p.m. Eastern, I believe it's 6 p.m. Eastern. Why they moved it up basically 12 hours, I'm not sure. I guess they didn't want people out at midnight because that's what teams have done. They actually, you know, uh, Magic Johnson knocked on the door of LeBron James' house in L.A. at 12.01 a.m. Eastern time, which means it was 9 o'clock Pacific Coast. But I've heard stories where whoever it was back in the day went to Grant Hill's house uh, before he was on. He was on Orlando was he on Orlando first or Detroit first? But they got him. He was to go on to the, Detroit first. Okay, so they got him to sign with Orlando, and they went to his house at twelve oh one. And that was the first time I've heard of that. So maybe they moved it up to six p.m. the night before. I don't know. But also think of the media. Think about us. That's Gary. what I was about to say. Maybe for the media, <laughs> so they get more publicity out of it. But anyway, so it starts. You know what coming up in seven days, so we're not that far away from free agency and then the summer league. So the NBA doesn't have the off season that the NFL has, but uh, still got some action going on. So it'll be kind of cool to follow, especially some of these other players, mainly Victor Wembanyama when he does play in the summer league. You can give us a call or yes. text at eight zero eight two nine. Yeah, eight zero eight two nine six fourteen twenty. We're going to talk some Major League Baseball at the bottom of the hour with Gabe Lax from USA Today Sports. We're also going to have Trevor Lane, as I mentioned, talking the NBA draft. And in the eight o'clock hour, I guess this will be his last appearance as an ESPN Sports Center anchor or host. Neil Everett will be joining us, and he is leaving ESPN. I don't even know the last day there, but we'll find that out and more when he joins us about eight twenty. Want to let you know you can stop. Dixie Grill Barbecue and Crab Shack this month for Sandwich Fest. You can try a grilled pulled pork sandwich on Texas toast, a loaded Southwest grilled chicken sandwich, catfish pulled pork burger, and more. Sandwich Fest at Dixie Grill Barbecue and Crab Shack in IAEA. Back with the Sports Animals on ESPN Honolulu. Uh, Gary Dickman, Tanner Hayworth here in our downtown. He is in our downtown Paxa studio. Uh, again, you can call or text at 808-296-1420. And I will get to a couple of texts that came in just in a, in a minute or two. Going back to the NBA draft for a minute or two, uh, 
the draft didn't go totally unexpected. Like, you know, you get a lot of surprises. There's maybe a couple, but basically all the first-round picks went in the first round. They might have gone in a little bit different order depending on which mock draft you looked at, but not a whole bunch of surprises there. I'll give you one question I have, Tanner, and Anthony Black. I mean, I've, I don't to be honest. I didn't see a lot of him last year. I know he's highly regarded out of Arkansas, a really tall guard at six seven, and a point guard. And he gets drafted by Orlando in that first round at number six. Number six is high, and I know the guy is good. Not that he's not worthy, but you have Cole Anthony there. You got him a few years ago from Carolina. You also have Jalen Suggs out of Gonzaga. He was the number two pick a few years ago, and I don't think any of those guys have made all-star teams. I know that, but your first pick is another point guard. That was a little surprising to me. I don't know what's more surprising than that. That or your second pick also being a shooting guard slash point guard in Jet Howard. Right, right. Juwan Howard's son, by yeah. the way. So when I look at that, I probably think of that as, all right, they have their primary ball handlers right now, Paulo Banchero and um, Franz Wagner. Maybe, just maybe, this means they're kind of giving up on Cole Anthony and Jalen Suggs. I don't really think about Jalen Suggs when I think about the Orlando Magic. When I think about the Orlando Magic, I think Paolo, I think Franz, I even think Markel Fultz yeah, uh, yep. because he's had a couple of pretty good seasons for Orlando as well. Right, right. I think if you get a guy like Anthony Black and Jet Howard to develop, they'll probably think of that as their future uh, backcourt more than Cole Anthony or uh, Jalen Suggs because what we've seen over the last couple of years is, yeah, they're serviceable, but they're not necessarily pushing the Orlando Magic over the hump, so maybe it's more of a bet on Black and Howard there. This is so unusual doing a show and everything I'm hearing from my partner about NBA talk. I agree 100%. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree 100% I, with what I, you said. My favorite thing that I heard about uh, Anthony Black the last couple of day, the last day was uh, an Orlando Magic uh, person saying they feel like they've drafted Alfred Payton again, which well, is not a great comparison yeah right, that's true i mean he yeah he, he's actually been in the nba for a while but I, I i know you're going with that but going back to Suggs, and I, I do check box scores i try to especially with basketball i watch as much as i can with the highlights or games or whatever and Suggs coming out of gonzaga with what he did in the tournament that half court shot to go to the championship game against i think ucla it was uh he didn't have he hasn't had a good nba career he was hurt I think in year one for like the last month or two, but his shooting percentage is pretty bad. Uh, I, I saw a lot of bad games coming out of him. So I don't think, again, like with what you're saying, he's not really the future there with what he's shown at least early on. And Cole Anthony came in as a can't-miss guy as well, really good freshman year in college, and then hasn't really amounted to much. It, again, it, it reminded me a little bit of the Detroit Lions drafting a wide receiver in the first round like three or four years in a row. It's not the, totally the same, but that surprised me a little bit. And then, you know, you go back to the trades that happened like a minute after they, the draft takes place, the draft choice takes place and i'm thinking to myself why would oklahoma city draft Derek lively and then within a minute you see they're trading him to dallas so that makes sense because you know they got chet holmgren coming in next year you don't need another seven foot you know thin guy uh who hasn't played much being you know your first overall pick so that was a little surprising but then again the trade takes place and you know going back to the centers for a second Derek Lively, you mentioned three centers in the first round, and that I think might be even higher than recent years. I think teams are trying to get an answer to Jokic. 
teams in the West. If you're trying to go up against what's out there and really try to negate their success, like Miami had a hard time, just Bam Adebayo could not match up with Jokic. So now Dallas is saying, hey, if we're a playoff team, we're to meet them in the next year or two. Hopefully we'll have a rim protector. We'll have some size that can slow him down a little bit. Right, and I think when you're thinking about size, you're thinking about defense. You talk about Derek Lively. I'm going to talk about the Dallas Mavericks here, and I think they had one of the best draft nights because you we talk about how the season ended for the Dallas Mavericks, right, where they tank to make sure yeah. that they get into the top ten, and no one liked that. Well, you know who liked that a lot? Uh, the Dallas Mavericks fans because what they did there was they traded, they traded out of ten to get rid of Davis Bertans's terrible oh, right, right. contract right. finally and with that now off the book they get a defensive center like Derek Lively who was formerly one of a uh, number one prospect uh, in college basketball and then after that then you go all the way down to 24 and then you get Olivier Maxence Prosper out of Marquette and if you don't know who this guy is he's 6'8 230 71 wingspan athletic a great defender, and at that six, eight, seven, one wingspan, you know, kind of deal, you can kind of guard one through five with that guy. I think of like a Jared Vanderbilt, how he was kind of defending like pretty much anyone that the Lakers uh, wanted to shut down for the day. I think of Olivier Maxence Prosper as the uh, Dallas Mavericks version of Jared Vanderbilt, and I think that is an absolutely great pick. You get younger at the center spot, so he and um, Dwight Powell can switch off playing time. Mm. And Luka finally gets, I think, some really good support uh, from his team, especially on that defensive side. And we've seen even photos of Luka in this offseason so far. He's dropped like 15 pounds. He's looking good. Kyrie is trying to recruit for Dallas as Dallas tries to recruit Kyrie. It yes. kind of feels like everything is falling into place for Dallas. I first want to see uh, see it to believe it, but I think Dallas absolutely killed the draft last night. Yeah, and you get two first-round picks, and you get the second pick, who is a good player that late especially. You get value there, at least it looks that way right now. I wonder also, is this a record for most players drafted with a hyphenated name? Is this the most, uh, most players with like French pronounced names? That in the too, NBA yeah. draft? There's a lot of Frenchmen in this draft. And look, I got nothing against Frenchmen. You know, <laughs> I took two years of French. Me too. Was, you know, all A's in that sense. Don't ask me to speak any French. I will not try my best on that. But I think this has been one of those years where the international slash G League uh, slash overtime. I think this is kind of gonna. This is gonna be the either the. Uh, this is going to be the fork in the road, whether or not we're going to get more or whether or not this will be just kind of the precedent set and nothing else will kind of fill it. I think that's going to be interesting to see as the years go on, especially if the NBA goes to that decision to say, yeah, high schoolers, you could be drafted straight into the NBA. I feel like once that rule happens, we're definitely going to see this split between the G League versus college basketball happen a lot more often. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And like any draft, we're not going to be able to totally or fairly grade it or judge it for at least three years. 
I would think. And, you know, that's why you look back at, like, some of the earlier drafts and say how good or bad they were now. But right now, again, on paper, it looks great because of number one. And that's one thing, real quick on Victor Wimbanyama. You know, everything said about him throughout the months, maybe even a year or two, and even all day yesterday by everybody I heard talk about him. And we know the hype. We know the praise. We know the comparison with as far as being a once-in-generational player, maybe the biggest since LeBron. I don't think there's maybe pressure on him directly or personally, but I think it's pressure on him because anything less than rookie of the year and averaging close to a triple-double almost is going to be almost disappointing the way he's been hyped up. It's almost impossible, almost, to live up to those expectations. Of course, but at the same time, I think Wemby's ready for it. He's been dealing with this hype for the last couple of years, like you said. I think when you think about pressure and all that stuff, I don't really think a lot of that is true unless you are kind of like a New York Knicks kind of draft pick because (laughs) not only do you have like the hate of the New York media, you have the hate of the New York fan base. And as much as I want to joke about that, it's kind of true. I think of a guy like Chris Stops. I think of a couple of guys who have kind of been draft busts for New York who might have not necessarily been so. And I don't know how much of that is because of the uh, developmental uh, part of New York Knicks franchise not being as good as other teams, maybe. But I just think when you go to a team like the Spurs, you're the number one overall pick. You're going to have Tim Duncan mentoring you. You have one of the best coaches in NBA history uh, being able to coach you up in the next couple of years. I think Webb and Yama is pretty much set for the next couple of years here. He could probably struggle year one, and that's a great first page in his book for his NBA career, And because then he only has up to go from there. You, you bring up few good points. One of them I I, I, I really know I think do. about. Yeah, <laughs> but the <laughs> fact that you compare like the New York media, which we know is really, really brutal, and then he's in one of the smallest markets in the NBA. So even though there might be outside pressure because everybody expects so much and been hyping him up, but you're in a place like San Antonio, even though they'll be on national TV a ton, they'll probably be on Christmas against somebody, but it's not going to get swamped with media like if you were right. in New York or L.A. or maybe another big city like Chicago or Houston. So maybe that eases it up for him. Like hey, the, well, only, well, the only criticism that San Antonio gets from the national media is Charles Barkley when he talks about them yes. San Antonio women. Yeah, and I, I, I'm not sure if I repeated one of his latest ones that I saw about a month ago, but it was pretty interesting. <laughs> if we have time, we'll get into that. We're going to switch gears a little bit and talk some Major League Baseball. Gabe Lax from USA Today Sports will be joining us next. Got a lot more NBA talk later on throughout the show. And, of course, football, both UH and overall NFL talk coming up with the Sports Animals on Aloha Friday, ESPN, Honolulu. Last night I dreamt I Aloha Friday with the sports animals Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth on ESPN Honolulu. We're going to talk some Major League Baseball right now and joining us via the Aloha Kia hotline covering MLB for USA Today Sports. Back with us again, Gabe Blacks. Gabe, good to talk to you again. And I never thought I would start a baseball interview with the Cincinnati Reds. It's been a long time since they were worthy of being mentioned that early in an interview, but they are not only hot, hot, hot. It looks like they're a legit playoff contender. What is different about the Reds this year? That's a really good question. Uh, a lot of youth coming together, uh, a lot of uh, veterans that uh, are having decent seasons. Uh, it, it's it's funny because it's just it was just a couple of years ago when there was very little 
hope in Cincinnati. Uh, their, their owner went so far as to say, well, what are you going to do? Uh, you can only root for us. And that really en- enraged the fans. Uh, and, and in the kind of interim couple of years, you've seen a lot of prospects really pop. Obviously, Elliot De La Cruz, uh, just a phenomenal physical, uh, just tooled-up player uh, who's had a really impressive start, at least just from a pure kind of eye test standpoint and production standpoint. It's only been 14 games. Uh, but uh, Matt McClain, shortstop, he's uh, he's coming along certainly, uh, has an 851 OPS right now, all rookies. Uh, and then you just, you know, you add Spencer Steer, uh, the veteran Jonathan India. And then the, the pitching, really kind of interesting. Not exactly what we expected, though he's on the IL right now. Uh, Hunter Green uh, has really flashed some dominance that you would expect of a uh, of a, a top draft pick, and then uh, you know guys like Graham Ashcraft has have stepped forward, and then the uh, the uh, rookie out of uh, Virginia who uh, has started his career with three straight uh, scoreless, uh, finally was scored upon. Uh, <laughs> uh, finally was scored upon. Andrew Abbott uh, with a 1.14 ERA through four starts. Uh, you know, it's it's tough to say if. Uh, if this is the highest, they'll bubble up to the surface and maybe regress a little bit. But uh, I think they have definitely caught everybody by surprise. Yeah, that's a great story. Joey Votto, Joey Votto, I think, is one of the guys a lot of people really enjoy watching, the way he interacts with fans and obviously a good hitter. Finally coming back, I believe it was on Monday, and hitting a home run in that first game was pretty cool as well. I think the cool thing not only about Cincinnati and their story is that there's a number of teams that were not – a playoff contender in the recent in recent years, and look at what they're doing now. One of them is the San Francisco Giants, who I know they were in the playoffs a couple of years ago, but they had a slow start last year. It was not a good year. They just had the ten game winning streak stopped. You have Baltimore and Arizona. These teams that again were not competing for a playoff spot are right now at the top of their standings or in a wild card spot. What does that do for baseball as a whole to have some of these other teams now having success? Well, it's, it's helpful that so much of it is uh, driven by youth. And uh, in San Francisco, it's, uh, you know, the, I mean, Patrick Bailey has just been a revelation on both sides of the plate, an 867 OPS and drawing rave reviews from the pitching staff. And uh, it's, you know, it's just remarkable how you, know, you, you have Buster Posey, he retires, and you have one year <laughs> of, uh, you know, not, not a lot of, uh, great production from the uh, from the catching position uh, and then uh, you know you have this guy uh, you know Bailey stepping right into the breach and along with uh, fellow rookie Casey Schmidt who's uh, over there on the left side of the infield he's tailed off a little bit but it's uh, it's very exciting to see Luis Matos uh, kind of waited for him a few years uh, to, to kind of coalesce although he's still just 21 and he just was recently called up uh, off to a, a very decent start, uh, so it's uh, you know it's not just uh, smoke and mirrors. It's uh, it's players that you can kind of be uh, you know kind of be excited about if you're a Giants fan. And as for Baltimore, I mean it's uh, they're literally just swimming in young talent. Uh, with uh, yeah, I think they're one of their quote unquote problems is uh, kind of knowing uh, knowing which guys to hang on to and, and which guys to uh, to trade. There's so many guys in the minor league system that play up the middle of the field and uh you know I, they're very much for real um and you know adley rutschman uh, you know we talk about the giants and buster posey you know he's definitely 
uh, going to mean to the Baltimore organization, uh, what what Posey will mean to the what Posey meant to the Giants. Maybe not from a, an elite hitting standpoint, you know, a silver slugger type guy. Um, well, although he could win a silver slugger, but uh, maybe not that raw power uh, and and hitting hitting champ kind of uh, offensive production that Posey had. But you know, when Rutschman got called up 13 months ago, it changed the entire dynamic of the organization and. Uh, yeah, it's uh, you know their desire was to build a sustainable winner, and it, it very much looks uh, looks like they've done that, even in the very tough American League East. A little bit of the changing of the guards around MLB, which was cool to see. As we're talking Major League Baseball with Gabe Lacks from USA Today Sports here on ESPN Honolulu, ninety-two point seven FM and fourteen twenty AM. Uh, Tanner has a couple of questions for you, Gabe. Yeah, and like kind of referring to that changing of the guard that we're talking about with you know the Orioles and the Giants. I want to bring up two teams who. I'm surprised we haven't brought up still yet a lot of I've seen a lot of power rankings across the internet here and a, a bunch of papers. What about the Diamondbacks and the Rangers? Because I feel like when you talk about the Diamondbacks and the Rangers the last couple of years, the first thing you think about is why are we talking about the Diamondbacks <laughs> and the Rangers here? But they are what the Texas Rangers are a top three team in the MLB right now, and the Diamondbacks sit atop of a really great division led by Corbin Carroll. I mean, is the success here for Arizona and Texas sustainable for the rest of the year, or do you think they might peter out by near the end? Uh, I think it is. I think we're we're at the point where. Uh... You pretty much, I mean, not to say that, you know, that you definitely are what you are, but I think enough games have been played, you know, and, you know, granted a, a team that's, uh, that's not living up to expectations or a team that's a bit inflated, and they could still level up, they could still come back to earth, but it's pretty, uh, you know, by and large, it's a pretty good spot with which to make a, a value judgment. And I think, uh, yeah, I think they're very much uh, both for real. And you wonder, gosh, I mean, the, you know, the Rangers – Maybe not going to run and hide, uh, but you know the the, the Astros, uh, you know the the Rangers' rise has been uh, kind of accompanied by the Astros, you know dalliance with mediocrity. But uh, it's it's interesting the the Rangers and Diamondbacks two different approaches. Uh, you know the Rangers just basically did nothing for about uh, seven years <laughs> and uh, threw a ton of money at the problem, and uh, it took uh, two seasons. But the Marcus Simeon Corey Seager investment. Uh, has been absolutely huge. You know, they uh, uh, definite all-star caliber seasons, although Seager uh, missed some time with a hamstring. But, uh, you know, that's just given a huge infusion. Uh, Jonah Heim probably should be, uh, you know, any any justice in this world, you know, Rutschman and Heim will be your all-star catchers. But at 28 years old, he's really, really coming into his own back there. And then uh, kind of uh, lost in the uh, the, the Seager uh Simeon winter of, uh, of two winters ago uh, was the signing of John Gray, who uh, has been absolutely fabulous this year, a 1.05 whip, uh, along with Nathan Navaldi, the very, uh, very similar numbers this year, uh, very, uh, you know, very at times dominant and more often just giving them six, seven quality innings. Uh, yeah, it's almost like you don't even miss Jacob DeGrom, which is, uh, you know, sad to say, like, it's such a you know, such a ma- an amazing thing to watch him pitch, but uh, you know they have flourished without him, and and you know obviously I think they're they're ready su- to sustain that thing uh, going forward without him. And and as for the Diamondbacks, just a lot of a lot of patience, a lot of development of young players, and obviously Corbin Carroll just an absolute uh, revelation. You know, he's uh, <laughs> uh, 
certainly rookie of the year uh, in you know the leader in the clubhouse, if you will, uh, and certainly a, a little bit of MVP consideration there too. I mean, I again maybe a little more smoke and mirrors just uh, from the standpoint of. Uh, uh, not knowing what your pitching is going to get on a nightly basis beyond Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly. So a little more concern there, I think, in uh, in Arizona with regard to uh, to whether they can sustain it and the fact that, uh, you know, there's some really good teams nipping at their heels. Uh, obviously, the, you know, the Dodgers can never be counted out. So much talent there. Uh, and then, you know, the Giants, very surprising. The Padres, uh, still some time to wake up. So, it's going to be really interesting to see if, if, if kind of the blue bloods, if you will, of recent vintage of the, the NL West can, uh, can run down the Diamondbacks. And then talking about, you know, a lot of the really great teams, the MLB, we're talking about a lot of these really great stories, you know, with a lot of these teams kind of coming out of nowhere. Have the Atlanta Braves become like kind of the most like weirdly overlooked team in the MLB, despite being like the best team in the MLB right now? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of it's kind of not unlike uh, what happened to them in the '90s uh, with uh, Maddox and Glavin and Smoltz, and you win 14 consecutive division titles uh, on into the 2000s, and uh, you know you, you kind of take them for granted a bit. But it it is interesting, uh, you know, the, the that that was forged so much by great pitching and a perennial uh, MVP candidate in Chipper Jones. This team, so much of it is uh, you know just this. Just dominant, uh, dominant lineup. Uh, you know, we'll pick a pick a piece to build around right now. It's uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. having an MVP season, but kind of one we all expected him to have. Uh, still just 25 years old, and you know, diverted to, from his kind of MVP uh, destiny by a, by a torn ACL a couple years back, and now fully, uh, you know, fully ready to go, fully firing out on all cylinders. And uh, you know, it's uh, it's just a uh, you know, just absolutely perilous to pitch against that team when you talk about Acuna, Matt Olson, Sean Murphy, Ozzy Albies, uh, you know, Austin Riley. Uh, he's slumped a little bit, but still such a force in there. Marcelo Zuna has, uh, has been productive. So it's, uh, it's just, you know, there's something to be said for when you can pretty much write down on, a, on the back sheet of a paper what one through five, one through six in a lineup are going to achieve, and they're just going to go out and do it. Uh, now it's kind of interesting. They were flush with pitching so many years, uh, but uh, that might be uh, you know might be tested a little bit if Max Fried is is out. Uh, you know, perhaps you know, there's still a lot of a lot of stuff with the forearm and all that kind of stuff. You know, he uh, you know don't want to make any proclamations, but he might be out a while. Uh, Bryce Elder stepping forward, Spencer Strider looking dominant, Morton just doing his thing at the age of 39, 40. It's uh, it's kind of amazing, but. Uh, yeah, just such a potent team and uh, and one that, that shouldn't be slept on. And, and again, the World Series champs just two years ago, and they uh, they should figure to uh, probably lock down that uh, that top seed in the NL and uh, and you know get everything at home over the over the course of the playoffs. A lot of interesting storylines going on in Major League Baseball. Not even at the All Star break, but not that far away from that as well. And then the trade deadline coming up in July. So much to look forward to. We always look forward to you joining the show, Gabe. Thanks again for coming on today. All right, appreciate it, you guys.
Thank you so much. Gabe Lacks covering MLB for USA Today Sports. Joining us here on ESPN Honolulu via the Aloha Kia hotline. Go to alohakia.com. You know a guy. We'll talk a little bit more about Major League Baseball. And again, uh, we'll give you the exciting news about Hawaii's players in Major League Baseball last night. We actually had some good results for these players for a change. It's been a while. So we that's got coming hits, up ahead. baby. Yes, finally, finally. No offers, uh, at least last night. So that is a good thing. Hey, you can mention ESPN Honolulu, and you can get the 750 special at the Pagoda Restaurant. It's now located in the International Ballroom. Get two eggs, Portuguese sausage and rice, or toast, or you can choose pancakes, waffles, sweetbread French toast, or omelets. This is from Monday through Fridays from 7 a.m. to 11 a.m., weekends till noon. For more details and their menu, visit PagodaHawaii.com. Back with the Sports Animals on this Aloha Friday morning. Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth. We're going to talk NBA draft with Trevor Lane next hour. Neil Everett coming up about 820 this morning. Interesting conversation, though, Tanner, with Gabe Lacks talking Major League Baseball about some of the interesting storylines. There are a lot right now. Yeah, especially right now as the uh, MLB released their uh, all-star ballot. Uh, This is, I think, the phase one of the finals where it's the all-star starter finalists. So this doesn't mean like automatic births or anything. Now it's the phase to vote which one of these out of these guys for each position who's going to be the all-star uh, starter. But I'm going to read you a list of a couple of these guys, and I want you to tell me what uh, what's the relation between these all-star finalists. I have Marcus Simeon, Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, Sean Murphy, and Jonah Heim. Well, besides the fact that there's a couple of mats in there, but that only connects two of them, they all do sound familiar. Most of Hines I wasn't as familiar with, but the other guys I know were all ex-Oakland Athletic baseball players, ex-Oakland Athletics. So if people don't understand the outrage from the Oakland Athletics fan base for the last couple of years, if you think this is a more of, well, just be better fans and actually go to the game, this is the reason why they don't go to the game, because of these five guys who are the best players at their position currently have all been traded away from the Oakland Athletics for a bunch of no-names? Prospects. Money? Traded, not released where they went via free agency and went somewhere else. Oakland just got rid of these guys little by little, year by year. And as Roxy Bernstein told us on Monday, that's the reason a lot of fans don't go, because the product isn't up to par. And if you're getting rid of every good player you had, that's what's going to happen. We saw the Miami Marlins do this a couple of times in their career. They win a World Series, and then they dump everybody because they can't afford them. And even when they're not winning World Series, it's happened with guys like Giancarlo Stanton, for starters, uh, many others as well. Kind of a sad story there, to say the least there. We're going to switch gears. I'll take a break first. We'll get you caught up with traffic. Tanner and I will be back with our number two we'll talk nba draft we'll talk some uh, uh football a new addition a big new addition to uh football that and more ahead with the sports animals on espn honolulu
Back with the Sports Animals on Aloha Friday. Gary Dickman, Tanner Hayworth here. Chris will be back with us on Monday. And we'll get to some text coming up in a couple of minutes. I promise you that. Of course, the number, 808-296-1420. Coming up in 30 minutes, we're going to talk with Trevor Lane. He covers the L.A. Lakers, but also the NBA as a whole. We'll get his reaction to last night's draft. Also, Neil Everett joining us about 820, talking about his long a uh, great career at ESPN, which will be coming to an end soon. I don't even know exactly when, but we'll find that out from Neil coming up next hour. Here are three things you need to know on this uh, Friday morning, talking about a lot going on. And I, the first story I want to get into, again, we talked about it last hour, is a real cool story because Hawaii's baseball players in the major leagues have struggled. Josh Rojas got sent down the AAA the other night uh, to Reno, the Reno Aces, and Kirby Yates did not play last night, but in New York at Yankee Stadium last night, uh, Seattle against the Yankees, Colton Wong with a rare start, uh, even rarer that he got two hits and a home run his first of the year, and not to be outshined or outshone, I guess. Uh, also from Hawaii, Isaiah kind of Falafa, Falafa. I'm not going to get it. I like Falafa. Fa- fa- Falafa. It's fa- like fa- I think fa- the fa- best best way to think about it is like fall. Lay like the chips and then follow Uh IKF, they call them sometimes in the New you York. You can also media. do that. It's a lot, just the three letters. Okay. Yeah, it's easier and quicker. Uh, he had an unbelievable ninth inning. How many people can say in one inning they pitched, they didn't let up a run or a hit, and also got a home run themselves, which is exactly what IKF did yesterday. And he leads the major league still with a 0.0 ERA. We'll see if he makes the all-star roster. I'm just joking, but except for the 0.0 part. But that was a really cool game with obvious local ties last night. Yeah, you know, IKF now joins Shohei Otani for the only players this season to get a strikeout and a home run in the same game. Uh, so we're basically saying that IKF and Shohei Otani are on the same level talent-wise. <laughs> um, Not contract-wise, unfortunately. No, unfortunately for IKF. But also a really great day for Colton Wong. You know, hopefully this kind of helps him get his confidence back. Uh, I think one thing I saw the most, I think I also saw this from a Twitter account, saying that he kind of brought back that um, that uh, kick step in his uh, batting stance. Mm. So maybe it's just kind of thing of, look, maybe you're shopping around your batting stance too much. Go back to what you were doing before. And it works out perfectly. So hopefully that's a good uh, return to norm for Colton Wong as he looks to get his batting stats, you know, up a little bit more than what they are now. But other than that, great night for uh, MLB Hawaiians there. Yeah, and Colton is better than his 167 average. So maybe you get a, you know two or three games where you go two for three, two for four, like last night. Last night was two for three, and then you get your batting average up, like you said, get the confidence going, and hopefully get back to respectability with those numbers. And hopefully that will be the case for him. Uh, NBA draft uh, last night, as we've been talking about it throughout the morning, really interesting as usual. Several trades. I just wonder if there's going to be any more trades. There's still rumors out there. Not so much with Damian Lillard anymore. Or that either was a hoax or much ado about nothing. Or developing still. And that's possible. It is possible. Paul George, there was rumors maybe he'd go to the Knicks if they trust his health. Uh, or a couple- developing still. Right, right. And that's the cool <laughs> part because we it's not over. The draft is over. 
uh, free agent contracts will be given out. And I always look forward to that, kind of like the NFL free agent contract, to see if there's any familiar name. And I know somebody texted in earlier that Kamaka Hepa had a tryout with Toronto yesterday again. Uh, I guess he showed up for that, unlike his appearance on our show. <laughs> Sorry, but it had to be said he was 0 for 2 showing up with us. Uh, but he worked out with Toronto a few weeks ago, and he was back with them yesterday, according to one of our listeners. And if that's the case, maybe they did have interest in signing him, but I haven't seen anything yet. Yeah, I haven't seen anything on that yet. I could just hit them with the or developing still there. Uh, but yeah, you know, hopefully he finds a place to land, and maybe maybe then he can uh, answer his phone. Yes, yes. Unlike uh, get a few weeks ago, uh, the third thing you need to know: we are not salty. No, no, no. Oh, I, I, no, I am. I guess <laughs> but, uh, after the promises both times. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, the third thing you need to know, and this goes to a text that we got a little while ago as well, and I saw it on the news with Rob DeMello's KH2N2 Sports. The uh, new scoreboard, the, uh, well, the scoreboard that is new for T.C. Ching Complex via Aloha Stadium is now at T.C. Ching Complex, sitting above Les Murakami Stadium, and that is a relief, I think, to many and a great sign of things to come for UH football that we have this kind of scoreboard as opposed to what we had last year. Fans didn't like the uh, lack of visibility from last year's angle, and understandably so, but, you know, on short notice, it was still something that they accomplished. I think they deserve credit. This is going to add a lot more to the football experience. Uh, guaranteed. Uh, I would say more in front of the Les Murakami Stadium. It's kind of like, I don't know what to call that little, like, cement section uh, in front of Le- of the Les Murakami Stadium. It's by the luxury, I'm not sure what they call them, not luxury boxes, but they have some private suites up there. Yeah. I'm not sure that's it's what like they call them, but it's they're like up on, there. Yeah, so it's like on top of that, right behind the brand new uh, grandstands uh, on the uh, Diamond Head side of the stadium. Right, by home, I mean, back of home plate, I guess you could say, that's where it's located at the Les. Yeah, but I think it's going to be great, you know, you bring back, and by the way, we could say like the old video board, this is still like the newer version of the old video board if that makes sense like this video board has only actually been use been in use for only a couple of years and then aloha stadium kind of went down so it's still kind of a newer board and i think what's great about that is hey if you're on what what side of the stadium was it where you just could not see the other scoreboard was well, it like where the, we sat in the press box so malka side and then all the way so malka diamond head side is usually kind of like the one blind spot of the uh, uh, the uh, Ching Athletics Complex, but it's going to add a great level of atmosphere, especially if they kind of keep the same guy who's been kind of controlling the music the last two years. Mm. I think if we keep that level of, you know, of uh, pregame stuff, you add a little more stuff to the atmosphere. Yes, it's still the bleachers, so it's a little tight. I also saw that they're doing different seat backs for this year as well. So if you do get your um, season tickets, you do automatically get those seat backs. I'm sure. I think oh, those wow. are uh, newer ones. I can't remember off the top of my dome if that's uh, accurate or not. I think the best news about the video board going up, though, is the fact that before they didn't know if they were going to get this up and ready to go until like the middle of the season for the football season. Oh, that's why people are relieved that it's up right now. It's up right now, and they've said it's going to be operational by the end of July. So it's oh. going to be well ready by the time Stanford comes in on that Friday night game for week one. 
Okay, one couple things I want to say, and I'm looking, you know, Rob DeMello and KHON2 had the report that I saw last night, and I'm looking at it again on his, uh, Rob's Instagram page, and it's called a video board instead of a scoreboard for whatever reason, but that's not the point. When I'm looking at it right now on top of the less and back of those bleachers, again, I, I, I know it's what they need and everything. I'm just looking at both sides of this where I wonder if the people in the end zone stand up if, the top rows of the end of the bleachers now because they're a lot higher. It looks like it actually could get in the way of the bottom part. It won't. There's of the like video there's board. a couple of feet in between the end of the grandstands and the video board. I'm looking at a photo okay. of it right now. There's there's plenty of room where they won't be blocking it. Okay, and that, again, I, I, I know again it's it's going to be way better than before. Also, just on that though, can, well, I don't think everybody's going to be able to see it, but. It's going to be a lot more people seeing it than last year's scoreboard, so that's great. And the, there's not a lot of options. I know, like in the last year, some people would suggest where you know where they should put it. Where were they going to put this? I mean, you, you don't want to put it on the top of the stands. It doesn't doesn't work like right. that, especially bleachers. So the less does make sense. It's a little further away too. You know, most well not most. I think every other scoreboard that I can remember is actually in the stadium. This is next to the stadium. Still, as I look at the picture, it's going to be. Better, way better, and you're going to get replays and be able to watch live action and all that other good stuff. It and it, actually, when you think about Aloha Stadium, if you weren't right near there, you had you were kind of far away. But this is going to be another what 20 yards in back of the back of the end zone, so it'll be a little different in that aspect. But it's a it's definitely a positive. I'm not trying to make it like a negative. I was just kind of curious right. when I looked at it. But it's again, it'll be way better. And under the circumstances, I think that's obviously the only and or best option they had. I can't wait to see if there's going to be any antics coming up when a visiting team is kicking into the direction of that video board. I think that I think that's prime time for antics to try to try to get the kicker off of his mark there. In my opinion, I think that would be perfect. That's not, that's a good point actually. When you look at other scoreboards, they're not really in the back of the end zone. They're usually at midfield. So when you have it in the back of the end zone, that might be well, one of the advantage. ones that are on the back of the end zone. I think of I think it's Minnesota that does it, where they have it's this um, it's this old like meme video of like this uh, gopher dramatically looking into the camera. Oh, really? With, like some really loud music going on in the background. Uh, I know they do that a lot. And I know a couple of other teams also do whatever they do to try to get the kicker off with their video board. I want to see what we do. I think that's I think it's perfect for something, you know, probably some kind of uh, company can get a sponsor for that to ensure that it keeps happening or something like that. Good idea. Craig Angeles is probably on that right now. Let's go to the phones at 808-296-1420. John is with us now. Hi, John. Hey, how are you guys doing this morning? Good. Good. Hey, I was uh, calling about Major League Baseball because you guys were talking about the All-Star game. Me being a Cubs fan, I'm thinking that uh, you could make a very good case for Marcus Stroman that he needs to be the starter for the National League uh, this year. Uh, he's won like about his last six starts in a row. I think uh, he actually had a complete game shutout, which is uh, pretty rare. Uh, these, But his, I think his uh, ERA is down like... Uh, somewhere in the one one run and inning range, one something, and it's like uh, I don't know if there's another National League starter that's performing as well as he is consistently uh, this season. 
Well, what I what I dislike about that, because first of all, you're totally right, is that he left the Mets to go to the Cubs, and he's from Long Island, New York, so he should have stayed there. He goes to the Cubs. <laughs> he is having a great year. I believe he's nine and four with the win he got the other day. His ERA, I think, is in the mid two range, which is still exceptional. But he's had a great stretch, as you said, and the Cubs are actually playing a lot better now. You know, they're almost at 500. They've won eight of their last ten, three in a row. And I'll tell you right now, Marcus Stroman will be an All Star. I don't know if he'll be the well, starter. You- but he will be an all-star. I think there's no doubt about that. Well, why are you jealous? You got Matt Scherzer and uh, Verlander over there. I'm like, because uh, it's 43 million for guys that are under 500. Oh, actually, I think the, the Mets and the Cubs have very similar records. I think that's why he's jealous. Cubs have a better record, actually, which is By another the way, reason why I'm jealous. If, if the Cubs beat the uh, Cardinals both games uh, this weekend, they'll be at 500. Well, that should be a very easy thing to do, seeing where the Cardinals are at right now, uh, standings-wise. The Cardinals, they, they just won four in a row until yesterday. They don't, they don't play very good against the Cardinals for some reason. I, there's something in their head. I want them to pound those guys, but... Uh, yeah, we'll be 500 if we come out of there with both wins. But anyway, well, you uh, play them three times. Okay, thanks for the call, John. I believe it's thanks, a three-game series: uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And well, he no, just I, needs to get two wins, so the, he's well, right about that. At least. Well, no, actually, because if they get two wins and one loss, then they would oh, still yeah, be true. a game under. So uh, sure. if they if they go two and zero, oh, yes, but they're playing three-game series. I forgot there. how math worked there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's interesting with the Cubs too because. Three years ago, I guess it started, maybe two years ago, they completed getting rid of every good player they had because they thought they were getting a little older, they were expensive, right. and they started going with the youth movement. They got rid of Anthony Rizzo, Kyle Schwarber, Chris Bryant, uh, a couple of pitchers. Hugh Darvish was on the team, and all those guys are actually oh, – Kyle Schwarber is hitting like 180, but he's got like 18 homers for the Phillies, maybe even 20 now. I feel like uh, all those guys except for Chris Bryant are still doing well. Yeah, they're, that, they're, they're having success, so they got rid of these guys. And Rizzo's been struggling lately, but he's been a good addition to the Yankees. They get rid of these guys because they couldn't afford to keep them, they said. And they're, they're, not, they're not over the hill yet. And so that's why they struggle. They got rid of everybody little by little, just trying to get prospects. And now they're starting to show signs of that youth movement. And they get a guy like Cody Bellinger, uh, free uh, free agent from the Dodgers, who is struggling. He's actually having a pretty good year when healthy for the Dodgers. So uh, kind of a cool story. Again, another team that... You know, started off slow, wasn't expected to do much, and now they're starting to do a lot better like right. the others we talked about last hour. And a lot of really great youth pieces like you're talking about. I think of Dansby Swanson, Ian Happ, Seiya Suzuki, I mean, mm. uh, Horner as well. I mean, those guys are kind of out there. And also uh, the third baseman, uh, Wisdom, great name. Uh, but <laughs> all of those guys alongside Stroh, I mean, Stroh's got to be one of my favorite uh, pitchers, I think, in the MLB. I follow him personally on Twitter. Uh, mm. He's one of my just kind of favorite players, I think, right now in MLB. So I'm really glad to see him getting a lot of success right now. A lot of people want to criticize him because his defense is really good. Or, or what's it called? The guys behind him are really good. So that's why he's good. And it's like, yeah, that's how it's supposed to work. It's a team game. <laughs> yeah, and I, I like him too. Again, he's he's very uh, outgoing. I would say on the mound, very got a lot of emotion. Outgoing everything. on the mound and off the on and off the field as well. Yeah, and he was really good with Toronto. I think they thought they weren't going to be able to resign him, so he goes home to New York and had a decent year or two. I think that was during COVID and had one year where he struggled. They just thought he wasn't worth it, but he's doing really well with a couple. Well, it's the classic New York. New York thing. You struggle oh, yeah. for one year and everyone hates you and then you leave and it's like, wait, how come you weren't good for us? And it's it, like, because you hated me. 
It's like <laughs> clockwork for almost every team that, at least I follow, it seems like it happens all the time. Well, we're, we're going to talk some more MLB throughout the show. We're going to talk some NBA draft as well. A lot of local uh, football talk, including UH, which is getting ready for training camp. It's almost about four, a little over four and a half weeks from now that they will start. So i got a lot of good things to look forward to. All that ahead coming up on this Aloha Friday morning. Hopefully you can enjoy the football watching parties when they start coming back again. But if you are feeling buzz, recognize your personal warning signs and call for a ride to get home. This message is brought to you by Hawaii USA Federal Credit Union and ESPN Honolulu. Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth. Here we are, the Sports Animals, on Aloha Friday. Thank you for tuning in. You can call or text at 808-296-1420. And we're going to be talking some more NBA draft with Trevor Lane from the front office show uh, and Lakers Nation coming up in about 10, 11 minutes from now. So we want to go back, and Tanner and I have talked about it. We haven't really given our maybe winners early winners or losers and i know it's still tough to say and the easy choice would be san antonio because they have the best player in the last 25 years or so everybody says so i won't go there but one of the teams i'm looking at and i've been talking about this player almost every day this week because i've been hearing more and more about him recently uh he's number 19 in the first round going to golden state the outside shooters two guard from santa clara Brandon Podzemski, Podzemski, and I'm thinking I'm pronouncing it right because I've said it every day and nobody's corrected me yet. This guy, according to Jay Billis, was the best outside shooter in the draft. They lose Jordan Poole, remember. They get Chris Paul back. But Jordan Poole was a pretty good outside shooter. Obviously, you have Wiggins and Steph and Clay, but you get some youth here, and you get this guy's got a little bit of size and a lot of lot of a lot of high hopes for this guy. And I think that make, might make them, as far as getting a guy that late in the first round, which is you know still a little past middle of the pack. I like what Golden State did with that pick. Yeah, I love that pick there. I think overall, when I think about the two picks that the Warriors made between him and Trace Jackson Davis uh, at the second to last pick of the draft, I really do love, I think, what the Warriors are trying to do with this draft. I think you get two really good players, but Zimski, like you said, is pretty much like a knockdown guy. Trace Jackson Davis, he's athletic. He's got good defense, good passing. He's kind of like that forward kind of spot as well. So he kind of fits that scheme uh, that you see out of like an Andrew Wiggins of a defensive forward that you can kind of throw at anybody. Um, I feel like I've said this like three times for late picks, that they're athletic, they're defensive, and you can throw them at anybody. But that's, I think, what you want to see out of that second round is those guys that you don't know the names of. But then by the end of the year, you're like, Alrighty, let's get this guy in the starting lineup to put on their best offensive piece. Because it always feels like it happens like that. I think of the guy on the Timberwolves. Uh, I know he wasn't a second-round pick. What? Who am I thinking of? Um, McDaniel's. Jaden McDaniel. Yeah, Jaden McDaniel. I know he's not a. Yeah, he was a yeah. mid-first rounder. He was I a mid-first rounder, but yeah. I just think of guys with that kind of 
archetype, uh, that those kind of characteristics, I'm a big fan of. So I like that out of Trace Jackson Davis, and I love the Podzimski pick. Uh, you were hyping him up the last week. Uh, glad to see that he goes to a team that uh, likes their sharpshooters a little bit. You know, I think also with Trace Jackson, I when I saw mock drafts, and I usually check them out once a week, whatever it is, and he was always a first-round draft pick when I looked at mock drafts. He was Indiana's best player going into the season. He was on all Big Ten first team. He had a lot of accolades and a lot of potential by what people were seeing in him. And I know he made a comment last night that he's going to remember all the teams that passed on him. Sounded like Draymond in a, in a way, but and I was surprised is, he lasted that long. And the thing is, Mike Dunleavy afterwards said the plan is to have Trace Jackson Davis on the 15-man roster. So I, I, we're going to see yeah. a good dose of Trace Jackson Davis over this year. And again, it's surprising that he lasted that late. I think he was one of the big surprises as far as, again, guys that lasted that long that should have gone a little earlier, if not a lot earlier. Here's another team I think could have been a, considered a winner. And when you get two picks in the first round, it may be a little easier to be considered a winner. And I'm not going with Orlando. With two lottery picks, I'm not sure how those guys fit, although Anthony Black's supposed to be that good. But the Houston Rockets, with number four, they get the one of the Thompson twins, uh, who we've heard so Amin much about Amon Thompson. He I is think the we better have to refer the to them by their first names. Yeah, maybe that's easier. Amon <laughs> and Alsar, right? Something like that. Osar, uh, yeah. Osar. Uh, so Ahmed is that good. He goes to Houston. And, you know, no surprise that he went there. But later on, and a lot of people were surprised that Cam Whitmore lasted this long. He goes number 20. He was a freshman out of Villanova last year, 6'7". Now, he was injured for a while. Uh, I think that is one of the reasons that he lasted as long as he did. But this guy, again, has got some size, really good shooter. And what I'm even reading about him is that he was projected as a top five or ten pick, but he dropped a lot. And I think part of it was maybe the concern about his injury in college. Still, this guy is a really good player. He can play the three and uh, be a good wing player for them. But they got two players that maybe won't start right away. But for a young team that is trying to get these lottery picks to make them more uh, – more successful like they were with Harden and CP three years ago. This is part of the reason or part of the way that process could work for them. And especially with their new head coach, Ime Udoka, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of loving the future of the Houston Rockets right now because they're not going to be good next year probably. I'm thinking about two or three years from now. We, right. we might see like that late play-in push by the Houston Rockets. Yeah. But you're thinking of this. I mean, think about this lineup here. You have Amin Thompson at the one, six, seven. You have the 6'6", Jalen Green as your shooting guard. Cam Whitmore, your 3'6'7". And then you have the two 6'11 guys with Jabari Smith Jr., their top pick last year. And Alperun Sengun, probably one of the more underrated offensive centers in the league, You know, just because he hasn't put his name out there as much. But I really do love the future of the Houston Rockets. And hey... There's still that chance they might just get randomly James Harden. I'm not sure what that'll do for the development of a lot of these guys, but if you have a guy like Amin Thompson who's been playing against a lot of older guys, older vets in overtime elite, you know, kind of playing a lot more professional ball than those of the college ball guys, I feel like an Amin Thompson, James Harden, like just kind of combination could be a lot of fun to watch. Kevin Porter Jr. was actually a pretty good player a few years ago, and again, is on a bad but, team, but, but he's I got love, some though, talent too. If he comes off the bench with how well he scores sometimes, yeah. I think that's really good for uh, Kevin Porter Jr. Because I think having him and Jalen Green out there, 
that's just inefficient because Kevin Porter Jr. is a scoring guard. He's not going to be your pass-first point guard. And I think with a guy like Amon Thompson, you know, 6'7", to be your point, I do, I'm not sure what else you could dream of more than a lineup like this. You want to get more experience, like you said, maybe in two or three years, they'll be one of those playoff potential teams. So, yeah, I like what they did with getting two quality guys. And a lot of people are surprised that uh, Whitmore was like, still available, but I think the injury maybe uh, had some people stay away for at least a little bit. Let's get one text in on this topic before we go to break. Uh, Hank text in, guys, good or bad? Why? Why do you trade for CP3? Why? From Hank. Well, I think it's kind I of can... obvious why, but the bigger <laughs> reason is they know that they're not getting any younger. They want to win now. And with Chris Paul, they're a better team than when they had Jordan Poole. I think it's kind of almost simple. I think the question shouldn't be, why would you trade for Chris Paul? I think the question should be, why would you want to keep Jordan Poole? Yeah, that too. So, so you get two things accomplished with one trade. Yeah, so you get rid of you know a guy who isn't that big of a maturity kind of guy in your locker room, and you add debatably one of the best point guards in NBA history in Chris Paul. Sure, it at the when you think about it at first you're like, okay, this doesn't really make sense because there's a lot of guys like Steph Curry, Chris Paul, they're both gonna demand the ball in their hands a lot. Well, Steph Curry has had the history of guys who demand the ball and need the ball in their hands a lot and him still playing very well. I think of Kevin Durant. I think of how Steve Kerr mans that offense with Draymond Green being one of the main passers out of that offense. I think if you lose Draymond Green and you add Chris Paul, what you're doing is basically putting Chris Paul what in putting him in what Draymond Green does for that offense in terms of passing it around, making sure whoever needs the ball in their hands gets the ball in their hands. Yeah, Chris Paul will be fine getting three shots a game but 10 assists, and Steph Curry yeah. will be fine being a beneficiary of those assists. And the main benefit is that Chris Paul won't be averaging like 33 minutes a game. And what that means is by the time he gets to playoffs, we won't have the usual end of the year for Chris Paul where we think, oh, my God, this team is so good if only Chris Paul didn't get a late playoff injury. I just yeah. don't think that's going to happen with these Warriors because they're not going to demand that he have the ball 24-7 for the entire regular season and try to be the leader for that team by the playoff time. Remember what they've done in years past. Clay Thompson coming off the injury for a couple of years, they really ease him back. To get DeMarcus Cousins, they don't play him until like March. And then just wanted of, him for the playoffs. And then you think of the two young guys they just drafted in Podzimski and Trace Jackson Davis. You still have Kaminga and Moody as well. So there's right. still going to be guys that you could develop for the future that's a lot more uh, efficient for building for the future than having a guy like Jordan Poole just take up so much money in your And the space. money part. The money part is the big money is they the save money on the luxury tax. That was definitely a big deal. Well, we're going to continue with some NBA talk. Trevor Lane will be joining us in just a minute. We'll get back to your text on the same topic all coming up in just a few minutes. Hey, what do you get when you combine jocks and food? Athletes. Join Cole Malsoff on our YouTube channel or ESPNHonolulu.com. Check it out every week or so. He goes and meets with some famous local sports athletes. And the latest episode has Cole sitting down with former UH volleyball player and high school teammate, I guess, Kanai Akana. Kanai Akana. Kanai Akana. Class of 2018. From Asahi Grill of 2018. Yeah, we're all classmates. Okay, you're all classmates. Okay, I got to meet Cole for the other day for the first time. I watched him play basketball, though. Great player. Great player. Uh, 
Asahi Grill was the place they went to this past week. This is brought to you by Central Pacific Bank, Hawaii's best bank. Still trying to uh, decipher a lot of what took place last night with the NBA draft. A lot of fun, a lot of uh, trades as usual, maybe some surprises as usual as well. We're going to get into it now. Joining us on ESPN Honolulu via the Aloha Kia Hotline. He's with the Front Office Show podcast, also the host at Lakers Nation as well. Joining us once again is Trevor Lane. Trevor, good to have you on again. And What was your biggest takeaway from last night's draft? Uh, first of all, thanks for thanks for having me again. Uh, the the draft. I thought the the big takeaway was just how deep this draft is. You saw so many players that were going late into the draft, into even, even looking into the twenties, into the second round, where you're looking at them saying, "Man, this this could be a guy that gets real minutes in the NBA next season." So that was something that stood out to me. And uh, you know, I think we were expecting a lot of big blockbuster type trades. You know, maybe Zion Williamson gets moved or something like that, but that didn't happen. But we still saw a number of really, really interesting picks from teams. And uh, I think this is going to be a really good draft class overall. We knew about the top three, you know, who was going to go number one, of course. And two and three could have gone either way, although most people thought it would be Miller uh, and then Scoot Henderson. But in the top, let's say the lottery, what other players do you think can really be impact players? Maybe not right away in their first year, but at least early on in their NBA careers. Yeah, I mean, I look at guys like like Amon Thompson who went number four. He's going to have some opportunities with with the Houston Rockets to jump in and help out right away. Um, I'd imagine Anthony Black with the Magic is going to get some opportunities with them as well. They could certainly use somebody with his skill set. Uh, Jet Howard, another pick by Orlando. They, that team needs shooting so so badly. They're going to have to put him on the floor. And then I look at at uh, what the Dallas Mavericks did at twelve, getting Derek Lively. Uh, you know, they tried to find that specific skill set in terms of a, a lob threat and rim protector with JaVale McGee signing him last summer, and that just didn't really work out for them. And now they go and get the the best and really only guy that fits that particular skill set in this draft and Derek Lively. And they moved back a couple of picks to get him. They cleared some uh, bad salary off their books with uh, with Davis Burton. So I thought the Mavs made a phenomenal move there and still got a guy who, who fits exactly what they're looking for. Were there any picks, at least in the first round, maybe even just a lottery, that surprised you in a way where you thought, why did they take him at that spot? Yeah, the the Jet Howard pick at 11 mm. for Orlando. He was getting mocked you know, anywhere between you know, 17, 18, all the way up to the mid-20s, something like that. So the Magic taking him that early was a surprise. Uh, there were other shooters that were still on the board that had been mocked a little bit earlier. But clearly they, they liked what they saw in, in Jet Howard. And uh, and if it pans out, then then obviously all is forgiven there. I mean, I think back to Cam Johnson, who is now with the Brooklyn Nets, being drafted by the Phoenix Suns. It was a very similar situation where people were projecting him to go much later in the draft. Right. They took him uh, late in the lottery, and he wound up wor- working out great for them. So I'm not going to say it's a terrible pick, but it was a surprise how much earlier he went compared to where he was expected to go. We are talking NBA draft with Trevor Lane from the front office show in Lakers Nation here on ESPN Honolulu via the Aloha Kia hotline. Okay, Charlotte gets Brandon Miller, and I know there's obviously some baggage there. And I saw on Twitter earlier where it was pointed out since Michael Jordan got there in 2006, uh, the first-round picks that he has acquired. Now, he's gotten some good ones here and there, but some of those guys have really bombed out, uh, even going back to Washington with Kwame Brown. 
This year appears to be a little bit different, but is Michael Jordan the guy who should be making the calls on these uh, picks? Because, again, his lack of success, and then your thoughts on yesterday with Brandon Miller. Again, it seemed like he has can't miss all over him, but with his, you know, his questionable moves with Darius Miles and that shooting, I was a little surprised that he didn't drop in the draft at all. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a situation where the team is just is Michael Jordan is selling the team. He's in the process of doing that, and yet he still got to make the final pick here. Uh, so you've got new ownership coming in in Charlotte, and you know, perhaps they just weren't you know well informed enough to make that that selection. So Michael Jordan, with of course you know Mitch Kupchak, who's their GM there, uh, is going to be involved making that selection as well. I mean, it's not obviously he was projected to go either two or three, and he's a very very good player. But most people believe that Scoot Henderson is the better player between the two, the better prospect. And so I, I'm always a big proponent of, of taking the best player available, regardless of fit, particularly this high in the draft. And it seems like the fact that LaMelo Ball is in Charlotte and he's already a guard, that may have influenced the mm-hmm. decision here. Um, so uh, that's always dangerous when you go fit over talent uh, early in the draft. But, again, it, it's possible the Hornets are just seeing things that, that other people aren't. But, yeah, I was a bit surprised that Brandon Miller was the, was the pick there and that Michael Jordan was, the again, the one making the pick when he's in the process of selling the team. Right. That was part of the deal, what I understand as well. Before I talk about some of the trades that took place and that are being rumored, I want to get your take on the Lakers, of course. And somebody had written, I'm not sure if it was you, but last night I saw somebody covering the Lakers saying that Jalen hood Shafino could be their point guard of the future at number 17. Your thoughts on him and their other pick? Yeah, you know, Jalen Huchifino certainly could be. He could be their, their point guard of the future. He's a, a big physical guard, really good defender, likes to dig in on that end of the floor, needs to work on the three-point shooting a little bit, shot 33% from three in, in college, but he's, but he's got potential there as a shooter. I know we tend to look at that from the Lakers' side of things because they really do need shooting on this team, but I think there is some upside there for his shooting to come around. He's got a really good feel for the game. Um, excellent mid-range game. The only question mark is he really thrives with the ball in his, in his hands. He's an excellent pick-and-roll player. And so on a Lakers team that is going to have LeBron James, you've got uh, other players, you know, D'Angelo Russell. If he comes back, you've got, of course, Austin Reeves, Anthony Davis. The ball is not going to be in Hoots Capino's hands all that often. So the question there is fit. But, again, I was just talking about with, with Brandon Miller that in the draft you tend to want to take best player available and not worry so much about fit. I think he's a very talented player. Maybe there's some bumps in the road in the early going in terms of his skill set fitting in, but down the road he could indeed wind up being the guy that is the, the main offensive engine for the Lakers. And so that's exciting to find a, with the 17th pick in the, in the draft for them. Uh, they also were able to get uh, a player who I like a lot, uh, Max Lewis, with the 40th pick, they traded up in order to get him, spent $4 million in change in order to move up to ensure that they would get him. And he's a really, really interesting wing prospect, can shoot the ball, can do a little bit off the bounce. Um, so I think when you look at those two picks that they made, they did a really nice job there just in terms of adding talent. Max Lewis being a clear, easy fit. But Scafino, how he's going to fit moving forward, we'll see. But certainly a very talented prospect. And then I think they added somebody, an undrafted free agency, as soon as the draft ended in Colin Castleton, who's a center out of Florida, who I think is a really, really intriguing prospect and um, turned down other offers in order to join the Lakers, similar to what Austin Reeves did. So uh, he's a guy to keep an eye on as well. Do they have any interest in getting Chris Paul? Because there's rumors he would go to the Clippers, maybe the Lakers would be interested, but do they even try to get him? 
Yeah, they were interested, but only if they could sign him as a minimum uh, free agent, sign him to a minimum contract. They weren't interested in taking on his salary, uh, which is what the Golden State Warriors did in trading for him. They moved off of Jordan Poole's money. And so so the Lakers, they weren't going to trade for him, but if he had been waived, they would have been interested if, if that was the situation. One last question for you, Trevor. Is Paul George going to leave L.A.? The Clippers have been rumored maybe to working on a deal with the Knicks. I don't think so. I mean, I think that what's going on there, this is, is my best read of it, is the Clippers are trying to get a sense of, of kind of how teams would value Paul George. They'll go into this season with him, see how all the pieces fit. Are you still dealing with injury issues and all of that? And then maybe this is something that comes up again at the trade deadline. Maybe it's something that comes up uh, you know, ahead of, of Paul George potentially getting an extension, something like that. Uh, sometimes that kind of groundwork gets done ahead of time, and so that's what I think is probably going on here. Look, never say never in this league. Crazy things do happen, but but my guess is the, the Clippers are just kind of doing some fact-finding right now, and they're going to wait before actually pulling the trigger. You know, still a lot going on in the NBA. Uh, free agency starts next week. Summer League right around the corner as well. But it's a fun night last night. Trevor, thanks for joining us. Love talking to Lakers with you, but even covering the NBA and the draft, we appreciate that insight as well. Thanks for your time. No problem. Thank you for having me. All right. Trevor Lane joining us here on ESPN Honolulu from the Front Office Show podcast and LakersNation.com. Joining us via the Aloha Kia hotline. Go to AlohaKia.com. You know a guy. And we'll be back in just a minute to talk some NBA. we got UH football talk next hour. Uh, we'll do that, Tanner and I as well, coming up on ESPN Honolulu. Gary Dickman here, of course, every morning at 6 a.m. Tanner Hayworth is always with us at 6 a.m. He always gets Technically, to I'm here and, since like 5 a.m. Yeah, right. That's, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, he is filling the role of Chris Hart today. He'll be back with us on Monday. And in filling that role with those big, big shoes to fill, Tanner has come up with some sports shorts, yeah. I understand. Yeah, I got a couple of sports shorts here because I just saw this go across my feed. And this only came out about, about six hours ago. And I think we finally hit that point of where kids, we finally grown up enough to have kids now. If that, may, if if you get what I'm trying to say, you. I mean, I remember all the movies I watched as a kid, and one of the movies I think of is like those Adam Sandler movies. I think of Big Daddy. I sure. think of Waterboy. Well, bad, here's bad. another movie that has come to the fruition where a new Ball State men's golf commit. By the name of Happy Gilmore. Are you serious? His name is Happy Gilmore, and dude has just committed to Ball State. He's not out there with the hockey stick used as his driver and putter and everything, but to go out there with the shoes of having the expectations of Happy Gilmore, my only question is, where's Shooter McGavin? (laughs) I guess his parents obviously had a sense of humor, if nothing else, huh? Well, because I think of guys like him... There was another guy, I think, only a couple of days ago, an interior offensive lineman, a 2024 commit for the uh, for SMU. His name is King Large. <laughs> like what? If if you're a parent, parents with a sense of humor have again. Great sense of humor. I have a great sense of humor. I probably won't be the person to like lock my kid down with the yeah, crazy name. Right. Um, you got King Large. We got Happy Gilmore. I think of Logan Taylor's kids, whose names I believe are Kobe and Vader. So I just think that I think we've 
We're all growing up here. We all want to name our kids after these great characters and great people that we live up to. It's just funny when it all comes to real life and you're like, wow, this kid has to live with the name King Large for the rest of his life. I know, like, every, like for, but every time I get, like, a college basketball or football magazine, I'm sure you've seen as well, they have, like, the most unusual names in college sports for that sport, yeah, basketball, the, the, football. The all, the all name teams are yeah, always there's always some, cra- not crazy ones, bad, but it's, like, really interesting, like kind of along Sto- the same lines. There's the quarterback, Storm Duck. We all know Kool-Aid McKinstry out of Alabama. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, the creativity of these parents across the nations. I, I love you guys, but also at the same time, I am so glad, like, my name is completely normal. But <laughs> the thing is, I mean, some of these names are, you know, interesting and unique, and, you know, maybe people are going to not be critical, but it's just, it's not necessarily a great name where Happy is a really good name. How could you go wrong with Happy? Even exactly. if people don't know the movie, if your first name is Happy as opposed to, let's say, Meadow, I don't know why I just thought of Meadow. Not a bad name either, but Happy. It's a I lot mean, better it's, than it's, Sad. Yeah, I don't know if anybody's been named that. And if you ever watched Seinfeld, you remember George wanted to name his kid Seven uh, after Mickey Mantle. And actually, I read somebody actually had done that as well. But uh, how many Kobe's did we have? We had like two Kobe's last night in the draft, I believe, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, so Kobe is now starting to get that rise in fame. I think of a name like Jalen with Jalen Rose being like the first ever person in recorded history being thought to be named Jalen is Jalen Rose, which is insane to think about because think about all the Jalens that are out there now. Yeah. Like, there are so many Jalens in sports and real life, and for Jalen Rose to kind of be like the precipice out of all of them, that's amazing. We've seen a bunch of Shaqs and Shaquilles yeah. as well. Right. Um. I mean, I can't wait to see the first non-LeBron James family member be named LeBron. And you figure there probably will be at some point soon, just because it's just the way it goes. But, yeah, the Kobe's are out there, uh, and that was kind of interesting in the draft last night. But uh, every now and then, I'm sure there's a I, – I know a, a, a person here, a friend of mine, who named his son Jordan uh, after Michael Jordan. Yeah, but that's like a regular name. Michael is, and Jordan is. are very common names. And you don't get your LeBrons. You don't that's get, true. You don't get, like, another guy named Debrickashaw Ferguson. No, there no, There was only don't. one Debrickashaw Ferguson. True, and rightfully so. And he, but he did it purposely. And his name is, uh, uh, um, I'm trying to give, make sure I got his name, Jordan DuPont. Mike DuPont is the dad. And Jordan DuPont, I think he actually did some work for us years ago here at the station. Uh, we will take a quick break. We'll get you caught up with traffic. Tanner and I will be back with our number three. Neil Leverett joining us in 25 minutes. Also, UH football talk right around the corner. Corner with the Sports Animals of the Morning on ESPN Honolulu. Happy Aloha Friday, Sports Animals, Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth on ESPN Honolulu. We'll get to some text, and if you want to call, of course, the same number, 808-296-1420. Coming up in uh, 19 minutes, Neil Everett, which I would imagine would be his last appearance on the show as an ESPN employee, which is it's kind of bittersweet in a way. I know uh, it looked like he might have actually been let go, but I know his contract is running out, and I think he had plans to retire from them uh, once the contract ran out. They are making cuts anyway, so I think it was kind of a mutual deal. I don't think they're unhappy with him, of course, but it'll be fun catching up with Neil and going down memory lane with some of the commercials and celebrities he has interviewed and what's ahead uh, with him. And I can imagine 
imagine a lot of it is the Portland Trailblazers that he's got that gig. And there's a lot going on in Portland right now, too. Yeah, there is. I'm going to ask his thoughts. He's going to have to evaluate the draft for us. So we'll have put him on the spot for that. First, though, let's go to three things you need to know. And I was just informed of this, so I needed to know this. Tanner informed me about this during the break. But for the UH men's basketball team, there is a new tournament, the inaugural Palm Springs Invitational has just announced their field for Friday and Saturday, the, the, November twenty fourth. The field 24th. has been leaked. They did not announce oh, oh, their Okay, field. that's a good point. That's a good point. I should say that it has been leaked by uh, Rocco Miller, who covers college basketball. You would think it'll be official, but yeah, you're right. It came out from uh, Rocco, uh, and these are the teams: Arkansas State, San Diego, UT Rio Grande Valley, and Hawaii. So interesting to hear that time. And I again, I wasn't even aware of that. So thank you for telling me. Yeah, so the inaugural Palm Springs Invitational, this is the second year we'll be doing an inaugural event. Mm. Uh, so I think the question mark is, what does this mean for the North Shore Classic? Because that was in its inaugural event last year. I think, did they say it was kind of like an every other year? I'm not sure how that's working with Hawaii and that event. It'll be interesting to see how that will work. The reason why I say that's a question mark is because the Palm Springs Invitational will be held on Friday and Saturday the 24th and 25th of November, which is around the same window as the North Shore Invitational. But like you mentioned, Arkansas State, uh, San Diego, this is the University of, uh, the one that Rich Hill and um, the our new cornerbacks right. coach both came from, the uh, Toreros. This is not San Diego State. And UT Rio Grande Valley. So it is a Sun Belt versus Big West versus West Coast versus WAC. So I think this is a great opportunity for UT Rio Grande Valley. Um, eh, I'm not really like like super stoked about the field in general, but you know it's competition. Hopefully, this gets the team ready by the time Big West uh, conference starts. I would personally like you know a better field, but I feel like that's a sentiment that we get every single year when it comes to events like these. Right. One thing I know Iran would like to do, and I think any Hawaii coach would want to do before conference play starts, is to travel, get the new players, especially acclimated to everything involving flying, hotels, all the things, study halls, and all that stuff. And you're going basically to the same location that you go for Big West play, Southern California. So I think that part might be one of the reasons they've got this schedule. Yeah, because this is in Riverside County, so. So, that, so it's in Palm Springs, but that's where the arena is, you're saying, Yeah, Palm right? Springs is in Riverside County. It sounds it sound like it shouldn't matter because Palm Springs, to me, has always been such a prestigious, well, like, you know, uh, celebrity-filled place where it's really hot, but a lot of rich people yeah, go there. prestigious, celebrity. Prestigious. That's, and that's everything I think about when I think of UC Riverside. Well, that's the thing. When Riverside, the, the, the impression <laughs> I've gotten, I've never been to Riverside that I'm aware of, is kind of the opposite. Yeah. I don't know why. But if you look at images of the uh, new Acrisure Arena, in uh in the uh, Riverside County, it's actually a really, really nice looking arena from the inside as well as the outside. So I'm sure um probably I think probably Josh will be doing the call for that. I'm not sure who's gonna be doing the call off the top of my head, but um I really do. I think he's gonna have a pretty great time when he goes up there because it's a new arena. Yeah, and we saw that in Henderson where, you know, the Dollar Loan Center is now in year two, but that was still is really beautiful. Uh, any new arena usually is. And I would imagine this TV coverage there, whether it's regional, it's probably not going to be a nationally televised I mean, tournament, hope. but a regional one where you get some exposure out of it as well. 
That would and, be really nice. But and that's yeah. always a good thing. That's always a good thing. And again, you just get you always want to travel on the road. I think that's really smart. Where years ago, basketball never traveled on the road until conference play started. I'll just give you a quick example. Ninety eight, when I don't think you were around. Well, you were just a baby, I guess. They no, beat I Kansas. wasn't around yet. Okay, I hate that. They beat Kansas, <laughs> number two in the country. They beat Indiana before that. They had a great thing going. Anthony Carter, Alika Smith, and they didn't play a road game. And after the high of beating Kansas in the championship game, number two in the country, uh, they go to the road. And I, I remember the first road trip was San Diego State and somebody else, and they lost both games rather easily. I don't think got blown out or anything, but I think part of it was that you play 12, 13 home games, then you go on the road. It's a little bit of a struggle at first. So you get that home, uh, the road trip out of the way before conference play starts, and I think that helps when conference play starts. So that sounds like a good thing. Yeah, great thing. And if you, if anyone missed that just now, we're just talking about Hoy basketball being part of the leak for the inaugural Palm Springs Invitational on Thanksgiving weekend. And that field is Arkansas State, Hawaii, San Diego, and UT Rio Grande Valley. Okay, so that's uh, good to know that they have some schedule parts coming out because uh, right around this time is when the schedule usually gets completed. We had a Ronick Growler last month in May, and I remember he was saying he's got a few things to get the contract signed, which is what we heard from uh, volleyball and other sports here and there as far as the schedule being released. you got to make sure everything's official. So uh, at least we have part of it leaking out, and that is a good thing to know, certain games and certain dates as well. Another thing you need to know, we talked about this. This is great news involving Hawaii's major leaguers, and only two got into action last night, but it was in the same game, and I love that whenever Hawaii guys go up against each other, and it was Colton Wong in Seattle in Yankee Stadium again against IKF and the New York Yankees, Isaiah Kainapalifa. And uh, Colton Wong got his first home run of the season. Great, great for that to happen. He got two hits, but IKF did a special thing that was a, kind of a record-setting, a record-tying event this year. Uh, it's something very unique that only one other player has accomplished, right? Yeah, that one other player, Shohei Otani. And when you can be in the field of the only other player other than Shohei Otani to do something, you'd think it'd be super impressive. But, um, you know, IKF gets, the, gets a strikeout in his pitching performance. Uh, as well as getting a home run in the in the same game, so he and Shohei Otani are the only two to do it so far this season. So shout out to IKF and shout out to Colton Wong. You know, hopefully getting back on that hit. You know, hopefully he gets back into hitting a lot more balls. You know, that 167 never looks very good. No. Uh, he kind of got that kick step back in his batting stance, so maybe going back to that will help him hopefully hit back into the 200s to secure himself back into that starting lineup of the Mariners as they look to make some kind of push, you know, hopefully by the by all-star break that they can start being confident and getting into that uh, wild card weekend. You know, one thing for Isaiah, too, this is fourth home run, 17 RBIs, and he's not a full-time starter, but one thing I've noticed about him, especially over the last, three, four weeks, even though his batting average is still not very high, went up to 237 yesterday, is that he plays almost every day. Uh, he might play left field. He started at center field last week a few games. Aaron Judge is out. He's played the infield. He played third base last night. He's pitched. The fact that he's so versatile and can play almost, and he's caught before in the major leagues with Texas. He's played so many different positions. I think he's played every position except for maybe first base. 
in the major leagues, which is pretty incredible when you think about it. So that helps him. And getting a little bit more production with the bat is really good as well. So that is interesting as well. And I know I want to get to one other thing we need to know, but Tanner has some breaking news right now. Yes, this actually just got announced by men's basketball. Juan Munoz has been granted an NCAA waiver, and he'll be returning for the 2023-2024 season. That is fantastic news, and I did not have a lot of hope that it would happen just based on the NCAA. And at first, Juan was not going to come back. I talked to him in I don't know, February, and he said he just time to move on. It's on senior night, I think. You know, just giving up on basketball, trying to get back to what he's going to do in life. And then he had second thoughts where he was going to give it a shot with the appeal. And this is incredible because I didn't. I'm not sure AI expected it. And usually, the NCAA drags on and on with these things, like Jerome DeRosier last year or John Tuitapo. Yeah, it's happened so many times where they don't give the answer later rather than sooner. So this is really impressive to get Juan Munoz. And, of course, we pray that he can play more than half of an exhibition game, True. which is all he got last year because of the injury factor. I'm sure they would ease him back in. But to have a weapon like that off the bench, especially with Justice Jackson leaving, uh, also, uh, well, somebody else, I think, transferred out. Well, uh, I think the other Beyond transfer Riley was transfer probably out. like Beyond Riley right, right. or Ned. Right. And obviously the position that more, I think you're most concerned with, 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 with Juan Munoz is maybe Justice Jackson leaving. So to have him and his three-point shooting, wow, that I didn't expect. That is great news, and it's good to have some positive news. That is really good to hear. Tell you what, since we, you know, we're talking about UH, let's continue with one more also thing. Did, I yeah. also did want to say I did want to bring up that now he gets to team up with his teammate, the guy who he recruited, uh, Justin McCoy from uh, North Carolina, and I think he also announced his official partnership with the Rainbow NIL, the uh, NIL collective for Hawaii athletes. So that's another piece of pretty good news for the University of Hawaii. They're now two for two for NCAA waivers uh, so far this offseason with Juan Munoz and John Tuitupo for the football side as well. Yeah, I'm just going to give a Ron statement on this. This was released on the UH website right now. He said, and I quote, this was a great day for Juan, his family, and the entire Rainbow Warrior basketball program. It's a testament to his conviction, perseverance, and incredible attitude. He's eight months into his rehab, and he's been working his tail off. We couldn't be more happy for Juan and this opportunity for him to continue to play the game he loved. You know, one thing, and I'm not sure if you remember hearing this, but when he got when he got hurt last year, I remember being at the game, and you knew something was wrong with the pre season exhibition game against UH Hilo and the way he held his leg was non-contact he just turned around on defense right around mid-court and right. then immediately grabbed his leg is that the team was mentally affected big time like big time like you know Juan I mean, Juan, uh, Iran could not how to like really you know talk to them and get them in the right frame of mind because they were just distraught over this they knew how hard he had battled to get back and to come back and have it finally after sitting out a year to go through that in a few minutes of an exhibition game where he hit a couple of threes. And then basically they knew his season was over, if not his career. And the player just really had a hard time dealing with that. And that was something that I remember. So I'm sure the opposite feeling, even the players like, you know, uh, Kamaka, Hapo, Samuta, Vega, who have left, I know they are ecstatic for Juan to be able to achieve that and play basketball once again. And this is something that I know probably Chris would make fun of me for. But I remember, uh, yeah, Chris Hart, you know, your your partner. Uh, <laughs> but I, uh, during the years, the school year at least, because back when I was with Kaleo, me and our sports editor, Reese Nagaoka, we did our own podcast for all UH sports stuff. And when we got to talking about Juan Munoz and his injury against HPU, 
I remember just trying to recount his story and, you know, him trying to get back and everything. And I like I got emotional talking about it mm. because you could tell just the connection this guy had with this team, with even Iran Ganat. Because I remember after that game, your talk with Iran, and it was it was just right. so it was so heavy just to hear how Iran just was not dealing with that information very well. He had a hard time uh, composing himself when he was talking about his right. To see the return of a guy like Juan Munoz, it makes you think that maybe if he was healthy, maybe the chemistry of this team, you know, because a lot of people like to, you know, try to think of what went wrong with Hawaii men's basketball last year. A lot of people think it was like a chemistry thing based on people getting money and all that stuff. Maybe if it's a situation where if Juan doesn't go down, Maybe there is a lot. Maybe the situation goes by a lot easier because he is such an obvious leader for that team. And he played 86 games at Longwood University. They're in the Big South Conference, I believe, and he was an all-conference player there. He's a great three-point shooter. Uh, he's a little undersized, but he's still I mean, he's bigger than Jovan McClanahan. Jovan got his shot off pretty easily last year, as it turns out. He'll be a great addition to this team. He's got experience. He's got the heart and desire. Uh, he's played or practiced with these guys for a long time. And I remember last year in the last month of the season, he'd be out shooting you know, an hour, hour and a half before the game just trying to get his shot back, uh, favoring the leg, of course, but still uh, the fact that he was trying to get back, and there was talk he might come back for the Big West tournament last year, but it kind of went where they just thought, even if he did come, even if he was cleared and was healthy enough, the fact that he sat out the whole season and coming back for the Big West tournament would have been really, really hard. When you're out that long, you know, it's almost like Tyler Hero coming back in the finals. If he was going to come back, you know, you're at you're out of game shape, basically. So um, they, they held him out. And I guess good things come to those who wait. I've heard that many times. And I'm glad that Juan Munoz, I think everybody, and I know everybody's glad about that. So thank you for giving us that news. I was not aware of that. And uh, hopefully better days and ahead. And it just came down at that minute. I yeah. think I just sent you, hey, I got breaking news for you. Well, it couldn't have been better timing than that. Uh, fantastic. And so we'll, I, I was going to have another thing you need to know. It involves UH football. We're going to save that for about 15 minutes from now after we talk with Neil Everett. But uh, that is good news, and it's good to have positive news for a change. There's too much of the opposite these days. Here's some other positive news. You can put some south in your mouth at Dixie Grill Sandwich Fest. Pulled pork burgers, southwest chicken sandwiches, catfish sandwiches, grilled pulled pork sandwich, and more. This this month, only at Dixie Grill Barbecue and Crab Shack in IAM. Back with the Sports Animals on ESPN Honolulu, Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth. And over the 17-plus years we've been doing this show, we've had so many great guests over the years. And the, the guest I get asked about more often than anybody else, when are you going to have this person on? It is the person we are going to introduce now. Uh, kind of bittersweet, because I understand he'll be leaving ESPN rather shortly. We'll find out more about that as he joins us here via the Aloha Kia hotline on ESPN Honolulu. Neil Everett is with us. Neil great to have you on again and heard the news a few weeks ago i was kind of saddened by that obviously uh, it's been a long great career there uh but uh tell us when your last day i thought it might have been that day when i heard the news but fortunately i still get to see you on sports center you got one more chance tonight tonight's tonight. my last show wow tonight's my last show so flood gary with uh who, who, what hawaii shout out i should give and gary will text it to me later and i'll shout it out tonight oh the answer right now is a shout out to gary <laughs> 
<laughs> he who has the gold makes the rules. Yeah, yeah, I love it. You've got the you've got the microphone. Yes, yes. So, what is that? Go. No, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a great been a great time. I mean, it's from from you know Hawaii prepped me well to to send me off to the uh, to ESPN and it, and it, 23 years later, I hope I've uh, I hope I've made her proud. Uh, I've always felt like. Uh, you know, my check said Walt Disney on it, but it really—I was really working for Hawaii all these years because without Hawaii's blessing and grace and all that she gave me, and the, I came up lost soul. Uh, it it turned my life around and it set me up for the uh, success I've had uh, back on the mainland. But uh, it's it's all about the 808. And you mentioned it so often on your broadcast there. We've seen them so many times over the years. What what do you think your emotions are going to be like tonight? You know what I'm. I you know I'm going to have a lump in my throat because uh, divorce is never easy, man. No matter what the circumstances are, uh, and that's what this is—a professional divorce. And uh, but it's it, it, it's it's time. It's the right time. It's time for me to do something else. Uh, I'm really excited about the future, but yeah, I'd be lying if I didn't say I wasn't going to have a lump in my throat. I've lo- I've loved it. I've loved it. It's been fun, and I think I've uh, I think I've represented uh, represented well. Oh, you definitely have. We're talking with Neil Everett, of course, here on ESPN Honolulu with Sports Animals. His last Sports Center broadcast tonight. What time do you go on for your first show tonight? I think it's. Uh... It's about nine nine Pacific, six Hawaii. There's some uh, god awful boxing show on before <laughs> before us uh, that uh, that we follow, and so that's fluid because you never know if uh, everybody's going to knock each other out in the first round, or if every fight's going to go the distance. Uh, so that's uh, so that that that's the way that works. So you know you're ready you're ready to go. You know when they go, hey, the last you know the fighters have entered the ring for the last fight. That's when we're ready to, you know, that's when we're age. But, you know, it can go five rounds or, God, how many ever rounds they beat up on each other. And uh, and then uh, and then we'll take it away from there. And I remember last Friday, I believe they had boxing on. And it was I think Sports Center was scheduled either at six or seven hour time. It did start about 20 minutes late because of the boxing. Yeah. So things can yeah. happen. So, hey, yep. Hey, I discovered something about a m- couple of months ago, um, and I love sports books, but there's a book that I saw. I'm not sure if I saw it on Twitter or Amazon, but where they were then, and it's I think it's written by Mike Rice, I believe, but it's about all these sportscasters and how they got their start, many of them from ESPN. Stan Verrett, Scott Van Pelt, uh, Trey yeah. Winko's in there, and Neil Leverett is in there, and I didn't even know some of the stories you had told in the book about doing an HPU broadcast and getting in a little bit of trouble for the basketball broadcast, but that was really interesting stuff to read. Yeah, you know that uh, that was Scott Reese, who was Scott an Reese. ESPN anchor, and basically what he did was he had all of us write our stories, and he put them in a book, and he put his name on the front of the book, and and he, <laughs> if, it, if, it, if it makes any money, he gets it. So, Good gig. Uh, but you know, it was it was it was fun to write, and uh, you know, for, you know. It, 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 it seemed like a fun idea. I asked Stan, I said, Stan, are you doing this? He goes, yeah. I asked Kenny, man, are you doing this? He says, yeah. I said, all right, I'll do it too. Uh, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, it, it, you know, I don't, I don't know that how many copies have been sold. I don't believe it's on any bestseller list, but, uh, it was a little labor of love and it was fun. To, it's always fun to think back of the, uh, the, the you know, the, your, uh, shenanigans and such in, in, 
you know, and listen, my story is one, you know, I never dreamt of working for ESPN. I never saw Dan and Keith and said I could do that. I was going to, I was going to die in Hawaii. Uh, who knows? I still might. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, it just, um, you know, it, it evolved out of all, all the wonderful people from KITV and KGMB and, and all the not wonderful people from the station that fired me, whose letters I can't even remember. But uh, it, it's, it's just been a, it's just, I mean, I you know, Bill Walton runs around and always says he's the luckiest guy in the world. Well, I, I'm going to hijack that or co-op that because I feel that same way. Right, and I I remember visiting you in Bristol. It had to be, I think, 98 maybe, a little bit of a snowstorm, like four or five inches, but we went to the, the facilities there, and you I remember you were in the cafeteria with me, and you stood up and you said, I don't know one person in here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 that has changed, and it had to be later than 98, because 98 I was still in Hawaii, because I started at ESPN on July 10th, 2000. But uh, uh, we... we uh, uh, you know, I've 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 given plenty of tours and uh, right. taken care of plenty of folks coming either to Bristol or LA, and uh, uh, certainly enjoyed uh, you know reengaging with the people that meant so much to me uh, in Hawaii and elsewhere. On our Twitter page today, I always put the guest list, and I have your name, of course, and I put a picture of you and I sitting at the Sports Center desk in L.A., and that had to be about seven years ago, maybe seven or eight years ago at least, but uh, that was an oldie and a goodie. So what, what I want to ask you also, Neil, okay, in all the years you've been doing this, and I know this is a hard question to answer, what is maybe the biggest two or three stories that you've covered that really stand out in your memory bank? Well, I think I did John Wooden's last television interview. So and that was within the first year of being here. So that was huge. Um, and uh, you know he lived in about another year or so. Uh, uh, but that was really you know I I knew that I I knew I understood the greatness that I was speaking to, and it was a fabulous um, fabulous experience and one I'll never forget. Um, you know, making friends with Bill Walton that that started in Bristol and has continued into L.A. Uh, that is that has been something that has been a blessing. Uh, uh, all the you know the celebrities that I was able to interview and the and the athletes and and their kindness and uh, you know when when you go up to Denzel Washington and you introduce yourself and say hi, I'm Neil Everett, and he he looks at you and goes, "Man, I know who you are. I watch you every night." And I'm like, and, 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 and it brings out the, you know, the 16 year old kid in you. And that's a good feeling when you're not even close to 16 anymore. So, uh, being, uh, being in sports center and being with ESPN has afforded me, uh, all, a lot of opportunity and, the, and, a, and a lot of chances. I mean, Jerry West was my childhood idol. And I've, you know, I, if I walked by him right now, he'd go, Hey Neil, how are you? And I'd be like, wow, I still can't believe Jerry West knows who I am. Uh, so I've just, um, you know, it's really, uh, and that's, that's, you know, that's, that's the part that you, you reminisce about things like that. And that's the part where you start to get choked up a little bit because it's been, it's been so fun. It's been so fun. I, you know, a lot of people go to work cause they have to go to work. I went to work. I loved what I did. Uh, I loved, I loved when the red light came on. I loved talking a mile a minute about, you know, Cleveland, Seattle baseball. Uh, so, you know, I think if you can find joy in, in, you know, if you can find joy in a 17 inning Padre game on a Friday night, you can find joy in pretty much anything.
That's a great way to put it, I guess. So what about as far as the commercials? And I, I'm not sure if you're aware of it because you're not on social media, as most people know. But when it was announced that you would be leaving, the tributes from around the country, not just from ESPN people, they were everywhere on social media, people just praising you left and right. But people were listing the best commercials that they thought you did. And the one that I think got the most votes was the one with you and um, Roger Federer. Well, that's the first one I ever did. So, yeah, and that's the one I would pick, too, because that was just me and him, and this was before he was a big deal, and it was before I was anybody. Like, like three people, they must ask three or four other anchors who just couldn't (laughs) make it in that day. All right, Neil, you're in it. You're going to do a commercial. Uh, Yeah, and I got got to give him some stink eye when he said, uh, you know, I don't know if you're in the top ten, and then I'm I'm in the top ten, Roger, and I think – I think uh, the record will show that I I was indeed in the top ten. Oh, you're top on our list. That is definitely for sure. I think what other people what people are wondering and thinking about is what is next for Neil Everett. Uh, well, you know, Gary, I've got the I've got the gig with the Trailblazers. This I've been laying the track uh, to to move on from uh, Sports Center for a couple of years now. Last couple mm-hmm. of years, I haven't. I haven't been working as much as I had in the past, and that was kind of a mutual mutual decision. And in the meantime, I, I picked up a side gig with the Portland Trailblazers, uh, and and I've enjoyed the heck out of it the last two years. And they haven't been very good, so I can't imagine. You know, they get, and which is really interesting because the last athlete interview that I did was Scoot Henderson. Wow. You know, a, co- a couple of weeks ago, and I even asked him, what about the Trailblazers? You know, you go to the Trailblazers, the three-pick, and I'll tell you what, that kid does not lack for confidence. Uh, and he, so that was, you know, so here it is, uh, you know, assuming he sticks with the club and isn't part of a trade, uh, you know, I'll be, I'll be up there doing more with the Trailblazers, so I'm looking forward to that. And there's a, you know, you know, Gary, you've been to L.A., and you're smart enough. L.A.'s got so much opportunity. There's just so much going on. Uh, you know, I've been approached by several things already, so it's going to be nice just to, you know, to, to do something different. We, we, you know, we all have so many chapters in our life and, and I didn't want my last chapter to be ESPN. It's going to be a great grand big chapter, but I didn't want it to be my last one. I wanted there to be something else. I don't know what that something else is exactly, but I know it's out there and I'm excited as heck to, to, to go discover it. You're not going to join Skip Bayless on Undisputed, are you? I don't know that Skip and I would be a good pair. I don't think Skip and anybody would be a good pair, actually. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think that will work. No. Okay. no. More trips to Hawaii, though, in your future, because you'll maybe have a little. Well, bit there's got to be. There's got to be. My, you know, yeah. I don't have to ask anybody. You know, I don't have to be a 61 year old man asking somebody for a Saturday night off. <laughs> so. Uh, you know that that's that's a nice thing. Yeah, hopefully, you know, uh, the, the the folks of uh, at the at the Sony Open have been kind enough to have me there last year, and I they've invited me back in for January of this year. So I'm excited about that. And uh, you know, I was just able able to see Coach Salito recently when I came back. So yeah, there better be some more trips to Hawaii. I got no excuses now. That's true. That's true. Uh, yeah, I, I wish we had more time because we always have enjoyed talking with you. You've been gracious with your time. And maybe we can talk to you from time to time about the Portland Trailblazers on the show and get the latest since you're going to be their expert analyst now. Listen, you can call me and talk about anything because I can make up answers because I've been doing that for 23 years and you guys have always been interested. The only thing that's changed is I don't have ESPN by my name, but I'm still full of it. 
Okay. That that sounds like a good deal. We will definitely keep in touch. Can't wait to see you again. And uh, I have a feeling you'll be at the Bruce Springsteen concert in December in L.A. as well. And that I've should got be, to be at that, yep. Yeah, that should be a great one. Well, we can't wait to see the broadcast tonight, 6 o'clock Hawaii time. It gets uh, repeated a few times, but I know everybody will be tuning in for your last night on SportsCenter. It's been a great ride. It's not over. You said you're going to be doing some other things. Neil, good luck in the future. And, again, thanks again for joining us. Have fun tonight. Hey, thanks for always keeping me in the loop. Love you, the 808. All right, aloha. All right, aloha. Thank you so much. Wow, that was pretty special. Neil Everett, I didn't, and I did not know until he mentioned it that tonight is his last broadcast, so set the DVRs or just watch it live. Neil Everett on SportsCenter. I have a feeling he'll be wearing a lay or two on that broadcast. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll talk a little bit more about Neil Everett, Tanner, and I. Well, we also want to talk about UH football. There was some news uh, from one of the preseason magazines, the best in the biz, in fact. That is coming up ahead on ESPN Honolulu. And that was a lot of fun with Neil Levin, and we thank him for joining us over the years. Uh, and I guess we can still talk Portland Trailblazers basketball, so that'll be interesting. And just going back, I, I, I visited him in Bristol, and thing is, I, I don't want to second-guess the legend, but I know it was before 2000. He was on ESPN News for about two years before he was on ESPN Sports Center. And, you know, that's how you start out, I guess, back then. I remember one time he said he got called into the principal's office because he and his partner, and it wasn't Stan Verrett, it wasn't Scott Van Pelt, he was told they were having too much fun on the air. And think about that. Now, SportsCenter 25 years ago or so, it was very serious. They didn't joke around. There wasn't Stuart Scott having all those names, and Chris Berman, I guess, did his stuff. But it was a lot more serious. Now they have so much fun. Uh, but back then, I guess it was frowned upon. But visiting their campus, they had a souvenir shop where you could buy ESPN shirts. And it wasn't a shop. It was a trailer. It was literally a trailer that was open from 12 to 2 weekdays. That's it. A two-hour-a-day store. And it was like an old, again, it, was, it looked almost comical. I mean, they had security there and everything because it was ESPN. But it wasn't like how it's built up now. The ESP, uh, ESPN in L.A. that I visited, and that was like seven years ago, maybe eight now, uh, that was a lot better. It wasn't maybe as big, but it was still pretty interesting there, uh, what we saw there. And, uh, again, he was just really gracious with his time over the years, and it was great to go visit ESPN, which I guess I, and like a lot of others, will not have that luxury anymore because he won't be there. Maybe we can get the Portland Trailblazers game, but uh, kind of fun memories, and I'm not sure how often you've seen him on SportsCenter, but uh, always loved how he represented the 808 as he said as always i mean i just think of him and <clears throat> i just think it's just yeah a great time uh he's definitely always been around he was one of the guys who started up the la sports center right right so exactly, right. he and um oh, i'm forgetting his name off the stan top of yeah stan verrett he and stan have always kind of been in my uh i've always just they've always been in the back of my mind you know what I mean? Whenever right. I turn on ESPN, especially because over here, they're usually starting by midnight their time. So right, right. It always works out for us here in Hawaii so, to catch them. So it's definitely going to be a little bittersweet for sure watching tonight's show, his last broadcast, but a lot of great memories. Uh, congrats to Neil for a great career, but he's still got a lot ahead of him. Yeah, like you said, he's not done. He's got some offers or some conversations going on even in L.A. Not sure what that is, but it won't be with Skip Bayless, as we found out. And, uh, you know, Stan Verrett, and I've read a lot on him, especially in that book, Where They Were Then. It's really interesting, really easy reading, uh, like a big paperback book, but it talks about everybody's career in like eight to ten pages for each 
uh, announcer. Uh, he started off in news. He wasn't even interested in sports, but he got an opportunity. Everybody in the book really started off at the bottom, where they were doing everything, working weekends and late nights and doing everything themselves, cameramen, editing, and all that, and small towns covering high school events and nothing bigger than that, and working their way up to where they got to ESPN or other networks. But it's really interesting. Even the Neil Everett part, I did not know. I guess what, he, what I was alluding to at the beginning of that, he was uh, he was HPU's sports information director. And I'm not sure if everybody was aware of that before he went, or as he was doing, uh, I think uh, KGMB Sports as a sports director there, too. First time I ever met him, by the way, he came into player sports, but I knew Tony Salito. And I did not know who Neil Everett was. And they came in, I remember, it was a Saturday morning to watch college basketball, about four people from HP. I'm not sure if it was HPC then or HPU, Hawaii Pacific College first. But they were hanging out, and then I realized one of the members who was with them left. And I go, that guy who was sitting there, he left, and he didn't pay his tab. His name was Neil Everett. And he owed me, it was like about $14, $15, no big deal. Tony paid it, of course. And then we had a going-away party for him when he moved to Bristol, you know, eight years later, six years later, whatever it was. And I knew, I knew Neil very well by then. And we had a party at our bar, and I was on the microphone talking about him. I also mentioned the first time I had met him, and I pulled out an old bill from our bar and said, well, he walked out on this tab, so I would hope you can pay it today. And he thought I was serious that he wanted me to pay for it. And that he, I told him, I am serious that you didn't pay your tab, but I'm not serious that you have to pay it today. But I just brought that back to him. And, uh, yeah, great ambassador to Hawaii, that's for sure. And just a great person uh, on SportsCenter, whether you have the Hawaii ties or not. So he will be missed. I'm definitely going to tune in tonight. Hey, one thing I want to bring up, and I know we're uh, kind of running out of time, but we do have another segment left. Uh Phil Steele's magazine is out. We talk about the college football and basketball magazines often. And Phil Steele has been on Bobby's show, I don't know how many years in a row. We were able to have him last summer. And we are going to have him on probably next week. They wanted to wait where I contacted his rep until the magazine came out. And, Tana, you said you got yours in the mail. Was it yesterday or this week? I uh, got it yesterday. But I did also order it online like like uh, two weeks ago. Okay, but I know what they, what they had told me was that it was coming out, I think, the third or fourth week of June. So by last week of June or early July, he'll be ready to come on, and next week is the last week of June, so we'll work on that. But he's always like, I guess he's the guy you trust the most. I mean, you get college magazines, I get college magazines. Wouldn't you say that's more of the one that you really trust, maybe more than some of the others? I mean, Phil Steele does a lot of his research. He's usually very accurate when it comes to a lot of his predictions that he makes. And I'm just a person that likes to kind of get as much information as possible and kind of average out all the information. And that's mm. usually what I like to run with. But definitely when it comes to, you know, getting the most, like, in-depth, I probably trust Phil Steele at mo- more than a lot of other places. Yeah, he's got so much information. The other magazines are good. I, I agree with you. Like, when I get I – get- a lot of college basketball magazines and I always get at least one or two college football ones but what you get out of them is information that you can put together and try to maybe decipher they all agree that hey this guy is the new player that's going to really show a lot of impact player right now if everybody kind of agrees you think there's something to it and I do know and Chris and I have talked about this there are some uh, magazines where they just talk to the local beat reporter in that city town college town get some info on players and that's about it 
which it's understandable. It's hard to cover, you know, for even for one magazine, all 130 schools. But you know, Phil Steele has more in-depth information. And I think is a lot more accurate on there. So I guess we'll we'll take a break in a second. But what I we want to talk about when we come back is what Phil Steele has to say about Hawaii. Yesterday we talked about his all Mountain West teams, the four teams that he has, and the Hawaii players on. Then I'll go over that real quickly. But Tanner has also what. Phil Steele says about this upcoming season for the University of Hawaii. So we'll take a break, come back, and talk some UH football with the sports animals on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Been a fun show today. I want to thank Tanner, of course, Tanner Hayward, filling in for Chris today, doing a great job as usual. Always enjoy doing the show with you, Tanner. And Chris will be back with us on Monday on point with Artie Wilson coming up at 9 a.m. I'm sure he'll have a little bit more about the Juan Munoz news that uh, Tanner broke for us earlier this hour, that he did get granted his sixth year of eligibility by the NCAA. That was breaking news coming out uh, from the University of Hawaii earlier today. So that is great to know about Juan Munoz. Okay. Phil Steele's magazine. I'm just going to go over what we did talk about uh, yesterday, just in case people didn't hear that. Phil Steele has his preseason all-conference team. For the first team, this is the only UH player that I have in front of me. First team, all-Mountain West preseason. Cam Stone, the transfer from Wyoming, the cornerback, uh, did a really good job last year and comes in as an immediate starter and an impact player. Second team, impact players from last year and then some. Uh, wow, Tylen Hines had an unbelievable excuse me, freshman year, Logan Taylor came in as an injury replacement. Those guys were money, weren't they, Tanner? Yes, definitely two of the best teams, uh, two of the best players, at least for the University of Hawaii, coming out of last year. Very excited to see how they've developed over this last offseason and how they, they'll shine for both the offense and the defense in 2023. Okay, and again, I think they're gonna. If they just get a little better, even if they were just like last year, they were so special. Third team: Solo Vipulu, the offensive lineman, and the defensive tackle John Tui Tupo. Uh, had a very good year last year as well. Fourth team, I was a little surprised in a way that Jalen Walthall, not that he's not good, but for the wide receiver spot, I thought maybe not so much Chucky Hines, but uh, Jonah Pinoke might have been that guy, but he missed a whole bunch of games. Maybe that is the reason. Long snapper, Solomon Landrum. I have to admit I am not familiar with him, but uh, he makes the fourth team, so that is great as well. Now, you got your magazine, as you said, the digital copy, and uh, Phil Steele talks about his prediction for Hawaii football as a whole this season, win loss wise. Yeah, so he does like the University of Hawaii, you know, improving from last year. Uh, but, you know, as we know, that we didn't have a lot of wins last year. So improving on last season isn't very hard to do. He has us finishing around 3 and 10, uh, basically losing all of our away games, but uh, racking up three wins at home, probably against Albany, probably against New Mexico State, and probably against one of the Mountain West teams coming here. But overall for the season, he does say that from last year, the offense made strides with the change mid-year, now operating fully in the run and shoot. The de- he says the defense will be stronger, as will the special teams. I look for big strides in 2023, but they may be a year away from bowl eligibility. Now, I think that's a fair prediction yeah. from Phil. You know, you don't want to be too outrageous with a lot of your predictions, and especially when you see a lot of the uh, turnover uh, in terms of roster from last year. Um, of course, it's going to be probably a year or two to kind of rebuild not only uh, really good 
uh, starters, but it's also going to take a while to rebuild the depth that is necessary for a Division One football team. And I think the uh, football team did make a lot of really good strides in uh, redeveloping that kind of depth. Our defensive back room got deeper. Our defensive line got deeper. Our wide receivers got a whole lot deeper. So there's still a lot of room to grow in general, I think, for the roster. I still would say I'm still stuck on four wins personally, and I wouldn't even be surprised if five or six make their way through. And I guess wishful thinking would be that maybe when Phil Steele wrote three wins, he meant conference, but I have a feeling it's overall, so I've got wishful thinking there. But if, if, if he's picking and he does say three wins, and you look at Albany and New Mexico State as two of the likely culprits, so to speak, that means he's only predicting one conference win. Which, again, I can understand based on last year's win-loss record, but that, I mean, again, we don't know. I'm not, you we and I aren't going to say exactly what could happen, but True. we would think on paper that there's probably a better chance to have a little bit more success than that three wins. Prediction. Well, probably, but the, also the thing is you have to factor in Hawaii's just kind of, you know, historical kind of <laughs> how they do on the road. It's just sure. general. We know we don't really play well on the road. My thing is when I look at our season and I look at the guys that we play on the road with New Mexico, UNLV, Nevada, Wyoming, I look at those four away games and I'm, I got to be real. I look at those and I see two winnable games there with New Mexico and Nevada and I can see a UNLV or Wyoming also falling to Hawaii because, hey, we just beat UNLV last year and they lost Aiden Robbins probably one of their best offensive pieces uh, through the transfer portal. And, you know, Wyoming, it's late in November. That's probably a reach to say that we're probably going to win that game just because of the weather. But I look at our away trips for the Mountain West this year, and I'm actually feeling kind of good about those games, especially those New Mexico and Nevada games, because much like Hawaii, Nevada, and New Mexico, I think the last, uh, especially with last year and this year, will probably – be the bottom feeders of the Mountain West. Right. They both, I think, I'm not sure if New Mexico, but I know UNLV lost to, uh, or Nevada, excuse me, lost to the FCS school. I forget which one they lost. Well, we to. also beat Nevada last year. Yeah, and, and we beat them. Yeah, so that's one thing. And, you, you know, again, there's no way to be 100% sure, but I look at it this way. If you have a new coach and a new quarterback, that's going to make any college football team go through growing pain. It's just unavoidable, unless you're Nick Saban going to Alabama, as an example. Right. But for the most part, you're going to go through growing pain. Timmy Chang's in year two. Braden Shaker's in year two. Not that that guarantees they'll be bowl eligible, but I think that'll make their season go better, to what extent I don't know, than last year, just based on the experience factor that they have, as well as a lot of returnees on offense. And I think one of the more underrated parts of this team might be the defense, because when you look at last year, yeah, the, the especially the rushing defense was pretty bad i think that's fair to say but what they did in the recruiting season so far was to build up that kind of depth through the transfer portal through the juco route i think they've done enough to hopefully kind of plug that up you lose blessman to allah but you replace him with a kuapehopa uh the uh, transfer from the uh, university of washington you get a transfer from eastern carolina uh elijah robinson you get the sauce williams from juco you see a lot of these guys coming in, and you also get the return of a guy like Wyndon Ho'ohuli, who right. finished last year with injury. I think the defensive line has room to grow. You have a linebacker room that's only a year stronger, and it feels really nice because 
that defense kind of stepped up by the end of the year. Especially Logan Taylor. You, you lose Panay Pavihi, but you have a lot more coming back. So we'll talk more UH football, obviously, next week. We'll talk some NBA and Major League Baseball as well. Coming up next on Point with Artie Wilson. Kanoa at 12 with Let's Talk Sports. Josh and Hunter at 3 with Off the Bench. Tanner, great job. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you Monday at 6. Aloha.